Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Sergio Vasquez. Hi. <laughs> Ana Diaz. Hi. And Kyle Hilliard. Welcome to the Age of Calamity. We are officially here, everybody. AOC. We'll be talking <laughs> oh, all about it. Uh, we're going to be talking about, yeah, Nintendo's big Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, the prequel to Breath of the Wild. We're going to be talking about Nintendo's 2020 in general here. Some other odds and ends. Serial wants to talk about the Destiny 2 raid, and he said... This conversation is going to be a whopper. I don't know what that means, but he promised it. I'll be eating a whopper during as well. Oh, that makes much more sense. Yeah. Uh, and then back after the show, we have more folks joining us. And we have some wonderful comments and questions that people submitted on Patreon. So thank you for that. Um, but before any of that, everybody, hey, happy Thanksgiving if you're in the States. I hope you're having a wonderful, safe time at home. Um, rubbing mashed potatoes up against the camera lens, I guess, uh, for your mm. virtual meeting with the rest of your family. Kyle, what does your Thanksgiving look like? Uh, I'm so it's me and my wife and my kid, and then I'm I'm planning to deliver some food to my brother and sister, and oh. then we'll all get on on Zoom and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so that's my plan. That seems great. Now, Kyle, I don't want to get too personal with your life, but recently, um, oh. Nintendo <laughs> Nintendo shipped like they sent us like this Age of Calamity collector's edition thingy. And I said, oh, this is a bunch of Zelda stuff that Kyle would like. So I made the long trek over to Kyle's place on Sunday. Uh, Serial and Anna, 1 p.m. on Sunday, I showed up at Kyle's house like, oh, this will be a fun holiday surprise. I had my mask on, put it on his doorstep, rang the doorbell, then stood back waiting to see Kyle for the first time in months. No response. Texted him, no response. I waited there for minutes and minutes and minutes. I was like, all right, I guess I'll just drive away. And then Kyle says, sorry, yeah, we were sleeping. We were sleeping in. Till 1 p.m. on a Sunday. You're an adult. Lazy Sunday, middle of the <laughs> pandemic. We were. I was up till like 3 playing Spider-Man that night, I think. Maybe it, I was playing something different. I Okay, as I was driving away, Kyle, I was thinking like, what is the math? How late would they have to have been up to still be sleeping at 1 p.m.? Like, what? Is your daughter just also sleeping in? What's going on in that house? Yeah. We're, dude, we just like the way we're all night owls. We all stay up late and then wake up early and then like get it, try to get it back on, you know, the weekends where we can. God, so. that is a wild schedule. I just like that little glimpse into your wild bachelor lifestyle over there, Kyle. Yeah. I'm well, jealous. thank you because I, I live know, far I'm... away from you. So I'm sorry that like I it's funny I didn't get an alert on my phone that my doorbell rang because I have it set up that way so I felt really bad after because I was like I, I didn't get the alert and then I actually because I have a video doorbell and I was yeah. like why didn't I get an alert and I was looking through the settings and I saw in the video that you uh, that I what I who I believed to be was Ben Hansen with a mask on standing there and I was like he drove all the way out here and I didn't even like Look, open the door. So that's I'm on sorry. me. I'm sorry that's on me that. for trying to surprise somebody with a holiday treat. Yeah. It, it doesn't pay off. The doorbell well, didn't think you. you were important in Kyle about it. Right. It scanned my face and it's like, no, he doesn't look excited to be here. Rejected. <laughs> um, but yes, happy holidays, everybody. And uh, thank you, everybody, for helping us hit our goal on Patreon. We're going to be creating the MinMax Holiday Special uh, coming up in December. So thank you to everybody for letting us hit that. We're going to be making some funky holiday special. It's going to be just lovely and heartwarming and weird, we promise, as well. Uh, also... <clears throat> in honor of Thanksgiving, I uh, let you all know that we have a tradition role in here. I think it's like five years in a row now where myself and Jeff Marchiafava and Jeff Cork 
Um, give thanks for gaming in the year. Is that a terrible way to put it? Basically, we each write 25 jokes and then go around and share these jokes about gaming in 2020. Um, and so that video will be up on our YouTube channel. And this year, Leo Vader joins us and the community joins us. They submitted a bunch of jokes and we chose our 25 favorites. But thank you to everybody that submitted jokes, no matter what. Um, we run down those. So technically, it's 125 aggressively mediocre jokes about gaming in 2020. So we hope you enjoy that bonus video on our YouTube channel. Uh, leave a comment or just, you know, submit your own joke in the YouTube comments. That's a great place for it. Um, also, last plug here is uh, The Deepest Dive on Spider-Man Miles Morales. We had part two, the big grand finale for that discussion. That's up on our YouTube channel and in the Patreon-exclusive podcast feed. If you support us on Patreon, we had Kyle Bossman from Easy Allies fame join us for a long discussion about that game. Uh, and I think it was good. I think that second half was better than the first half, Anna. What'd you think? I didn't, like, listen to the first half. Uh, but obviously there's more story stuff to talk about in the second half. I personally felt better in the second half. Yeah, no, I think it was I think it was a good time for sure. So thanks to Kyle Bossman for joining us. It was fun to have people be excited about hearing his voice again. That was very sweet. Also, quick plug uh, on that. There's a secret deepest dive on how to write jokes for Alf hidden there at the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. See if you can find it. The secret is listening <laughs> to all of it. An Easter egg. That's right. Uh, Even now it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thanksgiving eggs. Serial Vasquez, you reviewed Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity for GameSpot? That's right. I reviewed it. Uh, I played about 30 hours of it. Wow. Uh, and then I wrote about it. That's fantastic. So that's how that works. Congratulations. That's cool to do that for Thank GameSpot. Um, yeah. Anna, have you been playing a bit of it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I really enjoyed the demo, so I pretty much dove into Age of Calamity right away, but it was like competing for my time with Spider-Man. So I didn't get 30 hours or 50 hours in or whatever. Okay. Kyle, as world's biggest Zelda fan, where are you at with this game? I think I'm on the last level. Like last night, I think I turned it off while I was at the last level. Perfect. Um, and I'm like at 20, 20 hours or so, because I texted Serial about this, and you did a lot of side quest stuff, it sounded like, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty beelining here through the story. So I think I'm almost done. What do you think about it? I, I like it. I mean, I like it a lot. Like, it's, I don't have a lot of updated opinions from when we talked about it with the demo. Where <laughs> really? That's like, like the first sliver? Yeah, I mean, kind of, because it's like the main thing that I'm really loving about it is just like the, even though it's only three years old, the nostalgia of like, oh, this, 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 oh, I'm, ha- I'm back here. I remember this place, you know? And like, I was, in, I've been impressed as you get deeper into it, like how truly mirrored the layout of levels are. Like the first time you go to the desert, like it's it's identical like it's exactly the same and there's like you can go through Hyrule Castle I think even the last time we talked about it I talked about how eager I was to see uh the ranch yeah. that is dilapidated in Breath of the Wild there is a level where it is alive and like not dilapidated and really? that's like it was like a side quest level it was like oh this is so good and then I mean it, there's going to be some like tiptoeing here around the story but there is some later stuff that I'm kind of like raising an eyebrow eyebrow at that i'm like mm, i don't yeah. i don't know about this so much you know that that's sort of where uh it kind of fell apart for me i think that i ended up giving it a six which is by the way is fair it's not a bad score i, I was shocked i was I shocked when i saw that six you're a monster um, cereal uh i think it it, it like what to what kyle was saying about the the story stuff i think that is 
yeah, where where that game fails for me because like if this is like you're establishing and selling this game as a prequel to Breath of the Wild, I don't think it really works that way for like the way you would want it to. It doesn't feel like it offers a ton of insight. It, like you get to see those locations and I think it's cool to revisit them. Honestly, just the interface and the fact that like the way you're approaching missions is through Breath of the Wild's map, I think is it like that gives it a lot. Uh, that And I like the way that um, those side missions, like there are tiers of side missions and a lot of them are just like, do you have this many resources? If so, you can unlock a thing. But those are couched as like, okay, we need to deli- we need to secure this trade route so that you know we can set up this shop and make sure that we can stop people from from attacking us. And like those bits of text, I think are really cool and they give you the backstory that you want. But I think again, without uh, uh, without going into spoilers, I think it doesn't really do well by the story uh, towards the end. Both in that it kind of fudges things towards the end, and it also feels like it goes back on the themes of Breath of the Wild. Um, oh, interesting. It feels, it feels like it's trying to kind of, um, you know, like g- give you like that very different look of history. And it just doesn't I don't think it works. Which is interesting because um, I think that it's funny that this is a prequel, because I think that the story would be really unaccessible for someone who is new to the franchise. Like this is this game is definitely like by and for uh, Breath of the Wild fans. Like, yeah. I don't know how much. I would enjoy this game if I hadn't, if I wasn't a Breath of the Wild fan, you know? Um, so it's unfortunate that you have, you know, that the story sort of goes this way. Cause at the very least you'd think, oh, okay, well at least it provides an entry point, but. Let me know if this is a spoiler, just scream mm-hmm. at me, cut me off. Is it the idea that it's an alternate timeline and not really a prequel after all? Is that the part that's eyebrow raising? I don't know. That's the case. That's just a, Wild speculation on my part. Well, at the at the beginning, it uh, the the game literally starts with like here's the the calamity or whatever, right? And as it's happening, <laughs> yeah. and everything's destroyed, and you see the little white guardian robot, um, and uh, and he go he basically jumps into a portal, and he's like transported back in time. Right. So they kind of they kind they kind of sort of wrap around to that part of it at the end, but you know, yeah, I, without. Like it's it's hard to tiptoe around, and that was part of the hardest part of the review. Is for me, it like to talk about that game thematically is is to spoil it, and so th- and that was like the crux because up until then it's fine. Like I I think the the Muso stuff it, it's better than Hyrule Warriors for sure in terms of like the actual combat. I think works totally a lot better. Agree with you there, yeah, um, easily the my they, favorite Muso game. Like, yeah, by and 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 not I mean breath being a Breath of the Wild game like is a big part of it. Like because I'm familiar with all these locations, but like separated from that i think mechanically it's 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 more it's quicker and more fun i think yeah, yeah. and it also like that's another thing where breath of the wild actually improves the formula because you have the uh the flurry rushes that you get out of dodging correctly and you have the the runes that you can use so you can freeze people in place and uh you know like you have the cry the, the bombs and stuff you have the ice powers and stuff and those all make combat more interesting and some of the the larger enemies uh, like the the sort of mini bosses that you fight throughout kind of like the map and stuff, those will have these prompts where it's like he's winding up to do like attack with his an attack where he throws his hammer at you. If you use the um, the magnesis, you can reflect the hammer right back at him and that'll stun him. Right. So it, it, it actually improves combat quite a bit. Um, but even that, I think like by the end of that game and, and Kala, like you might not have played as much to like kind of see this, but a lot of those later enemies are just like, here's a green moblin that has electric powers. And so like that variety still kind of 
isn't there. Um, so by the end of it, you are just, okay, I fought this enemy. Bef- I fought this enemy so many times. Yeah, he's going to do the hammer throw. Okay, now I reflected at him. So by the end of like my time with the game, it was definitely like, okay, I, like the game isn't very difficult. Um, but it, yeah, it definitely kind of wears out its welcome. But I think it is, if you're it's looking repetitious. for... Yeah, which is to go what, to what Anna was saying, it's weird that, yeah, it is very impenetrable to Zelda fans because I, or to people who aren't Zelda fans. Because I think if you are looking like, hey, here's an iteration on the Muso formula, I think it's actually pretty good at that. Mm, yeah, but it's just going to be bewildering. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we are, I haven't finished it yet, so I haven't seen the finale. But like, while we are sort of complaining about the like larger story, there are a lot of moments, like smaller moments, that like I really love, like just like moments where it seem it does genuinely feel like your backup is against the wall. Uh, you remember that seeing that moment in memory where like Zelda's really tired because she like is trying to use her powers but she can't, and it's like you have to transport her from point A to point B. Like those moments, I really loved and felt mm. like were intense and cool and like I I I. That, that those parts of the story I really liked. Yeah, and I, I think the Zelda stuff I think is probably the strongest thread narratively that you get to see play out. Uh, like there are moments where it's like, okay, not Link's interacting with the with the champions, and that's cool to see them in their prime. Uh, but like the Zelda stuff of of her being burdened with so much responsibility of like you like you're the chosen one, you have to save the world, you cannot do anything else. Like that is your life now. You have like you don't have room for hobbies or whatever. Like your <laughs> life is figuring out how to defeat ganon yeah and like the toll that takes on her i think that's pretty strong um like but there are also other ways like um if i like correct me if i'm wrong kyle but it i feel like the implication of a lot of those flashbacks in breath of the wild was that zelda didn't really take to link early on that she was kind of like i don't know who this like who's this really quiet guy uh i don't know that i'm super into him like he's just yeah, I don't, I'd rather not be here with him. And then eventually that, you know, their relationship grows. Um, but here it's like, there's like one cutscene where it's like, who's this guy? And then after that, they're like totally cool. They kind of gloss over that. But the who's this guy was a really impactful moment in her life. It was a really, yeah. it was a really impactful who's this guy. Uh, <laughs> and like thematically, the one thing that I can talk about is that you, you end up playing as the divine beasts, uh, which yeah. feels really, it's like I'm, I'm conflicted on, on those because it's like, that's the thing you want out of this game, right? Is, is to go back and see the divine beasts like active. Right. But it also feels very weird knowing what ends up happening with the divine beasts to, for the game to be like, no, it's super cool that you're killing so many people, like so many Bobokins and like the, like it is the highest kill count you'll ever get. In that game. It's like, <laughs> you're like 4,500 kills on these enemies as you're like stomping around as the divine, the beast. stupid like, camels like, just, killing entire nations yeah Yeah. and it's like yeah manage your lightning meter like like rain lightning on all these people and like (laughs) if you know how that story plays out it feels very like we want you to buy into the thing that these people want to buy in but it's also just like it feels really tonally weird for that game right yeah it's funny i when i played through as i played like as a divine beast for the first time i had this moment where it's like if i was 12 years old this would be like the sickest thing that ever (laughs) happened to me (laughs) Like, yeah. that's what I want. But playing, uh, I guess playing now, I was kind of like, oh, this feels like a little too arcade or arcade-ish right. for me. Um, and it wasn't my favorite. Like, the combat is so much more fun. Like, the... Yeah, th- th- those, are, those are the weirdest segments for sure. And then, uh, like, uh, also, yeah, I, I just don't think they're, like, super interesting. They felt like turret sequences. And I never failed one, thank God. But if, right. I think... 
that was one of those things where if I died, I would be super frustrated by it because like, yeah, they're, they're way too slow. They, they rely on like, like circle the entire map and kill everything. And then by the end, it's like, you have, you're missing a few on the way, like you cleared the path, but you have to backtrack and kill a couple more. Uh, so those can get a little tedious, but yeah, yeah. I think it, if you're looking for a good Muso game, I think it works as that. I think it's, uh, like it, like we said, it's, I think the gameplay is better, but I was, I was kind of disappointed by the end of it as a Zelda fan. Okay, Kyle, as a, as a lover of Breath of the Wild, an intimate lover of Breath of the Wild, next time you play that game or when you play the sequel, will you think back to this? Will it like tarnish any aspect? How will it have an impact on the way you see the world of Breath of the Wild now? I mean, no, I don't think it'll tarnish it okay. at all. I mean, I think I like it more than Surreal just in general. We'll see how I, how I feel at the end, basically, but like... I mean, for me, it's just like, it's the opportunity to dive deeper into what I imagine in my head being these cool sequences. Like, just like going to Hateno, like uh, in one of the later levels, and just kind of thinking in the back of my mind, like, oh, this is actually, this is where it went down. Like, this <laughs> is where, like, that cutscene where Zelda's like crying uncontrollably yeah. and like has to relocate Link, like, it's like, I'm in the place where that happened and there are a million enemies on screen and that's just a cool moment for me and it, and it a lot of it is because I'm like so obsessed with Breath of the Wild and really right. do genuinely like the story of Breath of the Wild. It's not just like, you know, the secondary set dressing for me. I really like what's ha- what happened in that world. I like it as a, as, a, as a Zelda story where they didn't win. You know, like that's, I always really love that element about it. So I, I, I think it, you know, like I it certainly won't tarnish it. I think I will think of it and be like, yeah, this is that was great. I saw the war. I played it. I, <laughs> I saw that war. Kyle, was- uh, I have a quick question. Like for me, Breath of the Wild, its strength is sort of in its sort of environmental storytelling and like the mystery that the ruins sort of convey. That's something that was really strong for me. Do you feel like uh, again, I guess this is like a just a more specific, similar way, but like does uh, Age of Calamity take that sort of mystery and that sort of larger feeling of bigness away. Um, yeah, I think it focuses on the skirmishes that like led to uh, Ganon sort of taking over. Like, you know what I mean? I, I love that stuff too. That kind of like the sort of deeper history of Hyrule that you kind yeah. of come across even beyond the guardians and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Surreal would probably know better than I would, but like I don't, I don't think you see any of that. I think this is focused specifically yeah. on the skirmishes that led to you know. But does it winning. does it like remove any of the kind of mystique and like majesty of Breath of the Wild? You know, it's like if they yeah. made a freaking play dead Muso game. It's like see the world of inside before you get there. We'll answer <laughs> some questions if you think. you wouldn't like that. And I'm well, trying to figure out where on the spectrum if, it is if there. Inside had teased that a war happened. Right. Like that would be different. Like, yeah, it would be absurd for inside, but like, this is a game where there was a war that we saw cutscenes of that I wanted to know more about. So like it actually, it improves it in that regard to me, but then there are moments in the larger story that I'm like, "Mm, this isn't quite what I expected from this. And that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. The moments where it's like, I think we're going to die. Like I'm, I love that stuff. Yeah. Like those, those are like when things get really super dire, I think we're like, uh, probably my favorite parts of the story, but I also think that like it, it doesn't like spoil a lot of what made Breath of the Wild great, which is that mystery, mostly because I don't feel like it 
answers a ton of questions that you might have had in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. It, it, it talks about like, okay, here's here's the part where uh, Rivali is kind of kind of be a you know a bit of a jerk to Link because he thinks he's cool or whatever. And like, it's fun to see that stuff play out, but it's not like, okay, this game you're gonna learn more about the Sheikah technology. You're gonna learn more about how the divine be like. None of that stuff is really here. So yeah. It, like it's a fun way to see certain scenes play out that you kind of imagined in your head, but I almost would go as far as to say that like you don't need to play this ahead of Breath of the Wild two. It's like cool to have if you have that extra knowledge, but I don't think that Breath of the Wild two is going to be like well remember in Age of Calamity like uh, when this when this important detail was revealed uh, we're going to refer to that like I don't think Breath of the Wild two is really going to do that. Yeah, yeah, my impression is almost like this is just a great game to see more interactions between the characters and just get like a better pulse on like their lives you know pre breath of the wild right yeah less so than like okay if you wanted to see how this happens or like see like and again spoilers but like there's a very crucial way that game uh does not do that story uh if you wanted to see that that play out i think that was where I was really disappointed. But I think, yeah, I think if if you are dying for a, for a new Zelda game this year, I think like this is going to scratch that itch in, in some ways. All right, Kyle, here's my final question. And I'm sorry to focus so much on you, but I'm trying to crack open your skull and see what's going on in, there in terms of this game. All right, say we're 4th of July, 2021. You're at one of your cool parent get-togethers. Everybody's drinking beer by a cooler, watching the kids play in a playground. And uh, this this father next to you, turns out he's a huge Breath of the Wild fan, loves Breath of the Wild. Would you ever ask, like, oh, hey, did you play Age of Calamity? You should really play it. Like, what would be your recommendation to random fan like that that loves Breath of the Wild? Would you actually bring it up? Like, oh, you should definitely play this. Well, I would absolutely bring it up. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Undoubtedly. But I guess I would ask some questions in terms of, like, before stepping forward and being like, recommending this i think you should play this i would be like well what did you like about breath of the wild like was it did you care about the story did you killing hundreds of things (laughs) what's that just killing yeah (laughs) (laughs) well like my brother is a huge zelda fan yeah he liked breath of the wild a lot but i was and he doesn't follow video games as closely as, as as me and i even told him i was like there's a free demo you should play that demo yes, first and yes. then see if it's like if something you'd be interested in because it's not it's not a flat recommendation for Breath of the Wild fans. It's like a recommendation for Breath of the Wild fans that really like the story and world a lot and also like have an understanding of what a Musou game is and how it works. Right. You know, and to have that expectation going in, you know. Yeah. And whenever he saw me playing it, he's like, "Oh, are you are you playing Baby Breath of the Wild?" Cuz we did like a little bit of co-op and he's like, "This is so easy. Why can I suddenly kill 100?" Yeah. <laughs> so he's yeah. like, "Oh, I see you're playing Baby Breath of the Wild again." Yeah, I didn't realize that there's split-screen co-op in this thing. That's pretty crazy. I heard it runs yeah. like crap though. Hmm? Did it run like yeah. crap? You know, okay, I wanted to bring this up. I It ran pretty badly in one player for me. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I had to, halfway through a mission, which some of the missions can be long, I had to restart it because, like, my character just literally, like, I was playing as Mifa, just stopped responding, like, stopped moving, mm. and I watched myself slowly be killed um, <laughs> by, like, a pretty weak uh, Moblin. And then stopped believing in the war. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Um, <laughs> that was uh, her peaceful protest, and... Um, <laughs> There was, um, oh, and then just like one time I was, lo- it just straight up wouldn't load a level. I had to like completely read. Oh, really? It. And yeah. I know, that's yeah. 
and my frame rate issues as well where i was like oh man like this finisher like looks pretty cool but it's it's messy yeah Yeah, especially uh impa it was bold of them to have a character based on creating copies of herself and having more stuff on the screen when the game like very very frequently like uh chugs and then later on you end up going into a lot of indoor areas and the camera does not keep up yeah, uh, like there are just times where it's like okay this guy's gonna do an attack oh, okay i'm I, like now i get a full face of the wall so i guess i'll try to guess to see whether i can dodge it or not yeah i mean people are in that y button just keep hitting that y button yeah. 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 uh people are enjoying this game like i said 79 in metacritic which i think is higher than i was expecting but i think it's probably a case of a lot of outlets giving it to their biggest breath of the wild fan on staff and maybe that explains some of it yeah i mean i've had a lot of fun playing this so far like i feel bad because i most of the stuff i said is like skewed more negatively but like this is the game that i'm playing this is the game that i'm excited to play like the combat's so compelling to me yeah just in a simple kind of way absolutely i did see in a video i think it was ign's video review This shot of making what's the ice thing called? Uh, Cryonis, whatever. Making the ice beam that when you're Impa and you make it, she just like makes a huge ice block and then like drives it around like a car, and it's (laughs) the silliest looking thing. Although it's not, it's not, it's not super useful. Also, one of Link's attacks just has him shield surfing, which is pretty cool. That is great. That is super cool. I mean, there's a character that rides uh, one of the, the seals. As, a, as like their means of movement and weaponry. Oh, weird. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, that's uh, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity on Switch. Um, Nintendo's big holiday game. Uh, Mario Kart Live. So. <laughs> yeah. It, so this is the weird thing, is just trying to look at Nintendo in 2020. They have had a surreal year where they have not released much, but what they have released has really counted and just because of the state of the world, I guess you could say, uh, they are just crushing it. Like their sales numbers are off the charts. So there's a Business Wire article here. Uh, and this is data from October, the most recent NPD drop for sales data, saying October continues a record-setting streak for Nintendo Switch as the best-selling video game console for 23 consecutive months. The most months in a row for any video game console ever since NPD started tracking sales numbers. Uh, yes. And I mean, October, 2020, the sales of the switch are the second highest October in the history of consoles, second to Wii. but basically every month before that, like August, all that stuff, uh, it is just the most sales for a console ever with the switch. They're still sold out everywhere. They're up to 68 million sold worldwide. Uh, the Wii sold 101 million. So there's a good chance the switch is going to top the Wii at this point. It is just a silent juggernaut (laughs) based on just Mm-hmm. The platform and old games, I guess. It's been insane. Well, Animal Crossing. I mean, that's, yeah, it's that's, so yes. much of it's Animal Crossing. I mean, it's really interesting to see, um, for example, you know, just different consumer habits related to the Switch, i.e., um, I've seen a, quite a few folks who bought the Switch out of Animal Crossing hype, but like yeah. they're actually not that interested in video games, and now they don't use their Switch. And, like, I've seen folks, you know, like, uh, like even influencers on Instagram and TikTok being like, oh, like, (laughs) LOL at anyone who bought the Switch out of hype, Animal Crossing hype, and now has, like, not touched it for months. 
which is kind of a sad thought. Um, Somebody is such a great console. Anna, uh, you need to get on TikTok and just start screaming, you can download Hades on that. No, okay, people, <laughs> but that was literally the response is like, on, <laughs> on TikTok, there's like a duet and was like, I haven't touched my uh, Switch for months, but now like I'm rebooting it up and it's Hades. Oh, God. And so... At least that game is bringing folks back, back right. to it. Yeah, it was so funny. I was thinking back to the launch of Animal Crossing. Do you remember like that outcry where everyone's like, we're so bored during this quarantine. We need Animal Crossing to release like one week we early, like, please. Two weeks Yeah, in. it's like we're we had like stayed inside. Yeah, it's like, you know, eight days. It's like, I can't take this anymore. It was such a weird time. But yeah, because of that enthusiasm, it's just coasting like crazy. Uh, like Animal Crossing now is the second best-selling game of the year behind Modern Warfare. Uh, I'm curious to see how that'll shake out at the end of the year. And that's just physical sales alone. But so having a pretty inactive year after March, still they're set. They're golden. They're Nintendo. Yeah. They can't be dethroned they, here. They, they saw how good those sales were and just said, oh, we can, we don't have to prioritize anything. We like the machine is, we can just let it go. Like it's going to sell whether there are games around or not. And then, yeah, I mean, they've released stuff. They released Paper Mario. They yes. released, you know, Age of Calamity and they have Mario Kart Live and uh, Pikmin, the Pikmin 3 remaster. Yep, yep. And and uh, 3D All-Stars, can't forget that. I mean, that's, that's yeah. a juggernaut too, I'm sure. It is a juggernaut, but it's, you know, a lot of complaints about Nintendo in general this year. And specifically with that, it seems like a bare minimum amount of effort. You know, not even having Galaxy 2 in there, not really doing a, a remake or remaster in a big way of 64. But it'll still sell like crazy. But uh, so Matt Piscatella over there at the NPDs uh, for the last batch, he noted that nine of the top 20 selling best-selling titles of October were published by Nintendo. So Mario Kart Live, which is for a hundred dollar game, is selling surprisingly well. I know I shouldn't be surprised that a Mario Kart's doing well, but the fact that it's a physical RC car at a hundred dollars and it's still flying off the shelves is wild. So, anyways, uh, so the nine of the top twenty best selling games of October: is Mario Kart Live, 3D All Stars, Animal Crossing, Mario Kart Eight, still annihilating sales. Uh, <laughs> Mario Kart Eight is just like the best investment Nintendo has. I know. It'll just, it'll sell forever. It's insane. Uh, Smash, Ring Fit, still going strong this year like crazy. Breath of the Wild's in there. Super Mario Party's in there. Super Mario Brothers U also in there, the deluxe version on the Switch. They have so much old stuff that's just, you know, eternal at this point. People are going to be playing Mario Kart 8 Deluxe for the next 15 years. It's just a bizarre anomaly. Um, it, it's such a weird thing that, like, the for them, what everyone considers, like, the, the failure, uh, which was, like, the Wii U, was basically just them getting five extra years to develop the Switch's library at this point, and now it's all paying off. Yeah. Like, even in our worst years, we're, we're just teeing up for what we're doing now. It's like we're having the time of our lives, and, like, the year everyone thought, like, oh, Nintendo is, like, are they going to become a third-party publisher? It's like, no, we made Mario Kart 8. No, we've got this. Yeah, this is just workshop and all this stuff. It's just kind of like their early access phase for their games was the Wii U lifespan. Exactly. Let's yeah. test it out. Let's see. Okay, people kind of like Bingo Battle and Pikmin 3, but I did get yeah. Pikmin 3 on my Switch and I was playing it because I've tried starting that game so many times because I love Pikmin 1 so much. And even if we're playing Pikmin 3 on the Switch, it's like, this is solid, but I just don't think I can ever recapture that love of Pikmin 1 in my life. And I think at this point, I need to let go of Pikmin as a franchise as something that's just not grabbing me. But it made me think of the Wii U ports that are still left because they're definitely dragging everything out and it's doing very well. But does anything jump out for folks that hasn't been ported to the Switch yet that's 
that should be I making mean, its way over. I would cry of happiness if they release the HD Wind Waker on yes. Switch. Like that, I, and, and I would Twilight buy Princess them a, a third yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. It's like a two-pack. I mean, I, the, I heard that there were rumors of a uh, Skyward Sword, right? So maybe they just end up doing a three-pack where it's just those three games. Skyward Sword is such a big overhaul. There's so much debate about whether that's even possible. But I mean, the fact that it's Zelda's 35th anniversary next year, that seems like a pretty good opportunity to bundle those up because I think you're totally right. Just releasing Wind Waker and HD on the Switch is going to be huge if they ever get around to it. Um, but other Wii U stuff, Kyle, can you think of anything that's lingering out there? Yeah, I mean, that was my answer too, was the yeah. Zelda HD games. And then 3D World is early, what, January, February? I think it's like February, that? yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nintendo Land. I would love to see it, but that's one that's camera up there with Skyward Sword yeah, where it's so tough to port. But there's fun yeah. stuff in Nintendo Land, so I'd love to see it. We need uh, that yeah, armored edition of Arkham City. Yep, I've been screaming... <laughs> I mean, you joke, but like, I would love to have the Batman games on Switch. It, that seems like, you know, any like any 360 PS3 era game that's like not on Switch is just silly at this point, you know? Yeah, you're right. But Mass Effect, people are hoping for that remaster, but that's not coming out there. But uh, there's a lot of fans. Of do, you think, do you think Nintendo literally looked at like they're doing really well this year? Do you think they were like, well, you know what? Let's just relax. You know what? Breath of the Wild 2. <laughs> take take more time we're going to extend your deadline to give you more time and you know whatever those other unannounced games that we don't know about that are you know big nintendo titles do you think like there was maybe one that was supposed to come out this year that nintendo was just like you know what we're good let's take all the time we need which would ultimately make the game better i i don't think so i think simple I think what it is, is there's rumors that the Switch Pro, that the beefy version of the Switch is going to be coming out in March of 2021, probably timed with Breath of the Wild t- or 2, yeah. Uh, I guess they're going to be syncing that up. Seems like the most likely course here. And so in a way, I feel like Nintendo's 2020 is the rest of the industry's 2019. Where 2019 was kind of a slow year because everybody was gearing up for 2020 new console launches, that type of thing. And so maybe it is just that weird drought before Nintendo is really ready to sprint for its second wind with the Switch Pro, whatever they end up calling it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, at this point, there's not a ton of Wii U stuff. I think there's like, you're getting down to like Game and Wario and uh, Kirby and the Canvas uh, curse. Well, the biggie, yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles X fans really want. Canvas curse on Wii U? Kirby and the Rainbow Curse. Sorry. Oh, Canvas Rainbow. Curse okay. Curse. I was, yeah. That's I was the, like, wait, what? Claymation one, right? You draw yeah, the lines. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think a big one, Star Fox Zero, I think could be done. I know people didn't like it, but just have like a director's cut of Star Fox Zero or something. And then there's like... Col- I, I would I would 100% replay that game if yep. it came to Switch. I think a lot of people It is one would. that I look at occasionally and I'm like, did I give that one its fair due? You know, just playing through it, it once. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember it was the controls that really threw people off, right? Because you have to look at the gamepad for the cockpit. So there's a way they can like tweak yeah. that game to salvage it. They can it, make right? it better. I don't know if they'll make it good. Okay. Is, is Zero, <laughs> what did Zero originally come out on? That was the Wii U game. Uh, that was Wii U. Oh, okay. Yeah. 2016. And I remember when we asked... Uh, Miyamoto during some interview what he thought the most underrated Wii U game was. He's like Star Fox Zero. <laughs> so it's, it's nice. Because that's the only one that people didn't like. I think he. Just, I guess that's uh, like, true. A- everything else just reviews well enough that he's like, yeah, that's fine. And I think Star Fox <laughs> Zero was like the one game where it's like, oh, people didn't like that one, huh? Okay. Please, love of God, play it. Um, but yeah, there's still stuff coming out. You know, Puyo Puyo Tetris Two, I guess, will be coming out. A collection of Saga, Final Fantasy Legend will be coming out on Switch. But looking at Nintendo's 
year overall it's just been filled with so many anomalies which i guess is just the story of nintendo but obviously mario kart live home circuit is bizarre their collaboration with lego for the lego super mario brothers sets which i guess have been selling well even if they didn't seem great to me um and what really i want from lego but then earlier in the year you know xenoblade chronicles came to switch uh tokyo mirage sessions came to switch they've been trickling out these ports and these games that people have been buying like xenoblade sold what over 1.3 million copies uh, as of august paper mario the origami king has sold 2.82 million copies and it's the best selling or the fastest selling paper mario ever apparently so like the stuff they are releasing is doing well it's just such a weird scattershot this year um including maybe the strangest thing which is part of that big you know super mario well First of all, we should acknowledge Super Mario Brothers 35, just in terms of weird things that they released, that Battle Royale version of Mario. Then they also released... President now. That's true. Congratulations, Big Mario. Uh, but they also released the Game & Watch, like the Super Mario Brothers Game oh, & Watch you thing. Oh, got one. I, yeah, Nintendo sent us one, which is very nice. Um, it just has original Mario on it, or does it have... It has Mario 1, and it has Lost Levels. Okay. Got yeah, uh, which is one of those things that... Lost Levels, it's like, oh, of course, everybody knows Lost Levels. It's just the super hard Mario. But I had to look into the history of that a little bit. And apparently Miyamoto wasn't working on it as much. Like, he went off to work on Zelda. And then Tezuka led up a team. And their theory was, well, you know, everybody knows Mario at this point. So let's just challenge them and make a very hard version of Mario Levels. And then it came out and it was soul-crushing. And I guess they had, like, some messaging on the box for Lost Levels originally, which is obviously Super Mario Brothers 2 in Japan. Uh... It was labeled on the package for super players was their way to try and go at people that like, hey, these levels are going to be brutal. But yeah, so it the has... Dark Souls of Mario. It was weird Tezuka it, it, insisted on that. Yeah. yeah it, it had a, a Nintendo seal, like they have the, the Nintendo seal of quality, they had the Nintendo seal of difficulty, and it was just like Miyamoto's middle finger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it has Mario 1 and 2, uh, 1 in Lost Levels, we should say, and then like a reskin of the classic ball game which I guess was in Game Boy Camera too, but it originally was like the first Game & Watch game. You're just like keeping the balls in the air. But it kind of is symbolic of Nintendo's year overall and even their approach to Nintendo 3D All-Stars of just in terms of, would it have killed them to put Mario 3 on this thing? Like it's 50 bucks. <laughs> like you think that they could pack in some more NES ROMs, especially just Mario 3, like the best NES game. Get that thing on there. It's insane that it's not. But... Believe it or not, uh, hackers have already cracked this thing open and they're doing wonders with it. So, you know, if you're into that scene, there could be stuff to play around with eventually there. But uh, there is an Easter egg in this that I really wanted to get through. So, you know, you got your little menu, all that stuff. You got a clock, which apparently in the history of Game & Watch, uh, Gunpai Yokoi, who invented it, came up with the Game & Watch because he was on a train and he saw a businessman sitting next to him who was really bored and he was just pushing buttons randomly on his calculator. <laughs> and then Yokoi said, aha, what if we made something that businessmen could actually play and that it would double as a watch just so they'd seem cool and professional as well. So weird history there. But so on the time I wonder screen, who that man was. I know. He, he changed everything. He really did. The calculator man. That man's name was <laughs> Albert Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the history of the Game Watch I think is really interesting too because it is where the D-pad originated, like the classic video game D-pad that Nintendo then patented, you know, all that confusing stuff. But I guess it was for the Donkey Kong uh, Game & Watch is where that thing originated. But, okay, here's this weird thing. So on the time screen, if you hold down A, it'll get to this Easter egg 
with a Mario drawing song, which I think is just this original thing, as far as I know, but listen to how weird this is. And it's like drawing Mario's face as it goes. I feel like I can become an artist now. Yeah, now you know how to drum. That's what Mario looks like, everybody. What do you think the meaning for that thing was? Like, uh, can we put Mario 3 on there? Absolutely not. Get it out. Uh, can we put a song about drawing Mario's head on there? Absolutely. You're president now. One, like, two, three. It definitely feels like a song that they're like wait, squeezing so English lyrics like- in on something that existed before i don't think so not that i know of please correct me if i'm wrong people in the chat it feels familiar but not i don't have anything beyond that other than like i feel like i've heard that before but i don't i can't say where Uh, or why because there's also you know on the (laughs) super mario uh, 64 ds you draw mario and so maybe this is something that a song place during that this was the song that they wanted to play but the ds audio was so bad they're like we can't release it this way and so now finally fans get to see the mario drawing song yeah it's an odd one um anything you want from nintendo in 2021 kyle other than zelda 2 um I, I, I'm excited for another wave of like big Nintendo games, you know, the the big Mario and the big the big Zelda, you know, like I like this like I'm I'm honestly not complaining this year. I'm not even I don't really like Animal Crossing, but like I was oh. I like it was a good year to pull back because of like next gen stuff. You know what I mean? Like why compete with the PlayStation five and Series X? You know, like just why even do that? Yeah. So like I, I'm I'm looking forward to like just I'm I'm hopeful for like a big year with lots of surprises, you know, and stuff yeah, like that. That'll yeah. be nice. I would, I would like to see that that Switch Pro if that ends up happening, just because I think you know, especially like even Breath of the Wild had like performance issues. I'd like to see um what developers can do with that thing. Uh, you know, that coincides with Monster Hunter, I think, also uh releasing Monster That's Hunter right. Rise. Yep. Uh, I think that that could be cool if that didn't chug. That'd be nice. Um. I would also like to, I'm looking at, um, I've been looking at Wii U games and uh, I think the Pushmo series, I think I really like those games. I'd like to see you know, Intelligent Systems just ship the Fire Emblem. So they're, you know, obviously working on whatever they're doing next, but I would like to see them uh, make another push game, Pushmo game because those games were good. Yeah, that's a good deep cut. Uh, by the way, people in the backstage pass watching us live. Oh, they're screaming Metroid Prime Trilogy. Yeah, I mean, we oh. have heard rumblings yeah. for so long now that that thing is done and they're sitting on it, probably waiting until they can start ramping up to promote Metroid Prime 4. And because that game is having development challenges, getting rebooted now at Retro and stuff, I would imagine they're just waiting for that. But that's, God, I would hope that's next year. But, it but makes sense. Like, have they, have, do they have a precedent for doing that of like, hey, here's, uh, here's the new game and now you can remaster. Like, I feel like they're almost not into that. Uh, of like he, he, like here's the new game and you and while you wait you can buy the old game because i feel like they would be dissuaded against that i think like they're running you know for all i know like once mario 3d all-stars is running out they'll that's when they start promoting the next mario game or something because i think the last time they did that was when you could pre-order 
Wind Waker or something, and then you got the the demo disc that had Ocarina of Time and I think Majora's. Well, yeah, I mean, there's stuff like you know Bayonetta when they announced Bayonetta three. Then yeah. roughly around that window, they put one and two on the Switch. So there's kind of lighter versions of it, but it just it makes sense. I would certainly hope that they're going that direction. Uh, also, Ray Luaza watching us live at the backstage past here on Patreon. Uh, he says the Mario drawing song is a composition originally made for Flipnote Studio. It was created and released by Nintendo to promote a Mario-themed competition on the application. Flipnote's such a good little, uh, I guess, game app. Um, <laughs> I still, uh, people on TikTok still use Flipnote to do animations. Like there really? are Flipnote TikTok accounts. Oh my yes. God. Yeah. Thank you. And they're wonderful. They're so cute and fun. Uh, thank you for always just being here, um, letting us know what's good on TikTok. <laughs> so I don't have to actually TikTok? go in there and, you know, give them my data, all that stuff. You can just give us the highlights. In yeah. A podcast yeah. Maybe I'll do a best gaming TikToks of 2020. Ooh. Yeah, so folks are into that. I think that does uh-huh. actually sounds really good if you want to do that. Okay. Could be part okay. of the I'll whole do, special. I'll do that. Yeah. Maybe I'll just hang out and watch TikToks with people on Refreshed one day. Do like a, <laughs> a TikTok uh viewing party and i just have a playlist (laughs) (laughs) that sounds great uh kyle anything you'd like to say before you leave us forever Uh, i'm excited to beat age of calamity i should be able to do it today cool do you think uh sorry to put you on the spot do you think a max spoilers would be in line a quick one between you and surreal uh yeah we'll probably do that i would love to listen to that cool all right well thanks for being here dude thanks for having me Bye. bye All right. Leo Vader, everybody. Hello. Leo, right Thank now, you. because you clapped in, you have thousands of people hearing your voice. What would you like to say? Get out there and vote this year, guys. <laughs> it's so important. <laughs> uh, Leo, you said you wanted to join uh, right now and only right now because you were curious to hear Serial talk about uh, doing the raid in Destiny 2, which surprised me. What is it about the... Serial, I know you have much more info, but... Leo, what's up with you? <laughs> that shirt's looking good, dude. No, but why are you so curious about the raid in Destiny 2? I'm wondering. Truly, I have not had much of a drive to go back to Destiny 2 since it launched on PC or since near launch. But the experience of playing the raid, the first raid with friends in Destiny 2 was unbelievably fun. Like one of my favorite gaming memories from that year. Oh, wow. For sure. And it's truly like if I could just play only the raids in destiny i would love it but i'm worried about like having to grind up to a level where i can do the raids so i guess that's what i'm curious about is how good the new raids are and how accessible they are if they're the main thing i'm there for yeah so i i will say that it, they are kind of still that pinnacle activity and that that's the thing you effectively level for um but they've made that ramp a lot better um basically if you just keep playing you'll eventually get rewards and so you can do it on one character and it'll still take a while i'm not gonna i don't want to like like oversell like how quick it is but um it's more interesting than it ever has like a lot of the the loop of like oh play this many matches of crucible to get one reward and then play gambit like um all that stuff is way faster now you have to play way fewer matches gambit they've made like ridiculously fast now um so like all all that stuff is a lot faster but uh once you get into the raid i like this raid is one of my favorites that i've played it is fantastic both mechanically and aesthetically i think it is one of my favorite 
things they've done. Ooh, okay. Or is it, uh, has it, is it because they changed a lot or is it more of what I love from that first one, which was like cooperative puzzle solving and getting faster and faster. At uh, it, it, it is that like, I think the, the last one, the last raid they did, which was a year ago, uh, garden of salvation was maybe among my least favorites. Um, but this one I think does like, it is, it is basically just like four really, really good encounters. And the last, the last one is, is, uh, amazing. Um, so basically the, the story is that like you're chasing, um, like the, the beyond light has been like, you know, about kind of the fallen and kind of their rickety thing. Uh, and there's also been this undercurrent of like a lot of like the pre destiny history of humanity, where it's just like, like your Europa was a, was a settlement, right? And so they have this space station underground and it's been long been abandoned. So when you start the raid, it's like, it's, um, it, it's like the, uh, you're in a blizzard basically. And you have to use your sparrow to like hop from one warm center to the next without oh, dying cool. of frostbite. And and then from there, like, and it's, uh, it's like an interesting encounter. It's not like the best cause like sparrows are kind of, uh, finicky to work with. But once you get in there, it, it is this abandoned space station thing. It's sort of like, it it has a, some strong alien vibes where oh. you're kind of in this abandoned space station and there's this like uh there's this kind of eerie kind of like okay what happened here we're chasing this one we're chasing this one thing but like you're kind of trying to figure out what happened here um and so like there's just some really cool encounters along with that like the the main thing is like you um each of you can get like a different buff that does a specific thing so the roles are really codified and so there's a lot of like, okay, uh, in order for me to do the th- to shoot the right target, basically, uh, you need to tell me where these things are that I need to shoot in order. And then that'll open up this thing that we all need to like the, the guy who's shooting the panels has to say, okay, you have to shoot one and then three and then four. And everyone's okay, one and then three. Okay, then now you shoot four and then two and then six. And so like there, there is that really strong element of cooperation. Um, and are, like, is your group the type to try and figure that stuff out yourselves or do you read online how to do it? Because for a uh, while we tried to figure out that first raid and I think we got almost halfway through before we were like, this is a ridiculous amount of time. Yeah. Yes, these solutions can be so random and like doing them is the fun part, not necessarily figuring them out. Yeah, I think th- for for us, we, we tried to do it um, during contest, which is a thing that they added uh, recently where the first 24 hours that the raid is available, it's much harder. But if you beat it, you get an extra prize, basically. Oh, that's really interesting. Cool. Uh, so we tried to do that. So we were we were going like we didn't have the choice but to go blind, and um, we we were able to beat the first two encounters without looking them up, which was cool. Uh, but then like the third, like there's five total, and then like the third one, uh, I think was a stopgap for a ton of people because uh, people could not figure it out. And I think we spent like you know two or three hours butting our heads against it, and at some point we were just like. Uh, like tell it like what are we missing here and then the thing we were missing was just like yeah you guys are doing it right for the most like you guys are like 90 percent of the way there it's just like you during these specific things you have to deal more damage otherwise you're not gonna be able to beat them oh weird um but like the thing you are doing in that encounter like i I don't want to necessarily talk about spoilers because if you haven't done it some people like to do it but thematically what you're doing in that space station is super cool because it's like it feels like the most alienist thing where one person is like um, basically taking a hit for the team of like, I'm going to be debuffed. This thing is going to kill me. Uh, and there are the, just, this, I, the only thing I will say is that there are airlocks involved. Ooh, uh, come on. In, that's in, great. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. I have a question about all of this as someone who has been eyeing destiny two for forever. Like, is there a specific <laughs> reason 
to start now and is like the upstart. I've just been always so intimidated by yeah. the, the beginning. Well, I saw you were just tweeting about how you wanted to get into yeah. MMO, so I'm maybe this is it. I'm torn between Final Fantasy 14. XXIXXX <laughs> um, yeah. and Destiny 2 right now, yeah. to be honest. Those are, those are definitely the two that I've seen people talk about, um, but... I don't know what Final Fantasy XIV's on-ramp is. I've heard that you can just skip to the latest expansion, and that seems to be the best one, um, which they kind of do for Destiny. You can start at 1050, which was the old, like, cap, the old power cap. Um, and, I mean, Leo, if you want to jump in now, they took out some of the raids, but, like, the two, the two, I think you can do two right now, uh, and you can just do those at, te- uh, at where you start the game, basically. Oh, uh, right really? away. So you basically, like, if you start playing now, you basically have access to two raids that you can do by default. Okay. If I start now with the new expansion purchased? Well, I think if you start now, they, I think they just raised everything that was below 1050 to 1050. So uh, you can just go back and do those old raids. Uh, Wait, that's but, so you can do that for free? Uh, I think Last Wish, was the, which was the Forsaken raid, I think they each require specific um, expansions. But okay. I think they... they, they I think they probably have a bundle at this point, especially on PC, uh, where you can just get the Destiny collection, Destiny Two collection. I think it's and called. it's all on Game Pass too. So I yeah, assume everybody so, has that sitting around somewhere. Yeah, and then yeah, so like I think now is a pretty good time to get started on that, and then you would have to level for the third raid, and then like the the stuff you're doing is just like um, in this new raid is just like aesthetically it's so cool like you you beat yeah. that second encounter like that third encounter and you're just the platforming section is you're going from inside the space station outside to like you're platforming in zero g which they don't really implement any like gravity rule changes but it's it's a really cool like look and the story that you're being told as you're going in there is really cool and like the the final encounter is maybe it's up there in terms of my favorite encounters in destiny of just like wow. the way that you have to coordinate and everyone has to be on point, but it's not so demanding that uh, like, it just feels like way too difficult. So, so it feels yeah. like this is kind of up to your take on beyond light in general, I'd imagine. Yeah, for sure. I, and also like they did the thing they did in forsaken, which was after people beat the raid, like Europa has changed, like not again, not to spoil anything, but like there are now areas of Europa that are darker than, other areas and it was like before there were blizzards but now like there are these um eclipsed areas uh which huh. that, i don't think that really spoils anything but now they've unlocked a new area of europa where you can go and learn more lore so but yeah i think this raid is definitely worth leveling if you're if you're able to kind of you know put up with like the idea of doing those weekly stuff and putting on a podcast and leveling i yeah. think this raid is definitely like a good time to like uh, try to aim for that stuff because I think this raid is worth doing. Okay, but you didn't answer Anna's question. You need to commit the next 300 hours of her life. Should she play Final Fantasy XIV or Destiny 2, Serial? I, well, I, okay, so I think for you, Anna, I, I would probably say uh, Final Fantasy XIV is probably better because I think it's more anime, which I think <laughs> is... <laughs> but I will say that like, if you, want, if you have a group of people, uh, I think Destiny has a really good setup because its raids only require like six people yeah uh so yeah. if you have a small group of friends and i would like i we would obviously love to have you on our raid groups because right now we all love that raid so much that we are like uh one of the people in our our groups like every day is like hey you guys want to raid and people would be like ah you know i just did the raid and now <laughs> i have to do family stuff and be like oh, okay anybody else want to do like so we are we are chomping at the bit to get a group together to okay. keep doing that raid because it's so good. okay but, um, yeah i mean i do love me a, a good anime game but i'm mainly looking <laughs> for like social uh, the social collaborative aspect mm. of it is really appealing to me and also yeah. i think like i've read that destiny 2 is a great game to like 
I don't know. I'm looking for a good game to also play with my boyfriend. Yeah. And I think that Destiny 2 could also fit that. Yeah. Um, it's like two person teams can basically do everything in that game together. I like you can, there's even stuff specifically that, that uh, benefits from having multiple people on your team. So, okay. Well, I'm leaning Destiny 2 now. Yeah, Earlier today, I was ready to give it like. Sign over my life's final fantasy, yeah. but now you know you got. You can also do a lot of that stuff for free, so it's like you don't even have to commit any money for now, That's and good, just yeah. play for a while, level up a little bit, and see how that goes. Also, on I don't want to tell you what to do, but uh, like it's like peak gaming season. There's like a lot of like new games that are already too big. So it, like of all times <laughs> to be like, I am feeling MMO-ish. It just seems yeah. insane. I mean, yeah, that, that rate is not going to go away anytime soon. You are and like it, it, you could wait until January. Once you're out of games to play, which will never happen, I guess. But like once you're ready to play something else, uh, Destiny 2. I um, was going to um, brew up a meme just literally speaking to that like my brain being like i want to play an mmo right now when i have like yakuza uh persona oh my god um, and yeah I, it'd be the galaxy brain one <laughs> right, yeah, right. yeah get back into an mmo that you will never finish yeah exactly <laughs> uh all right well thanks for the destiny 2 update surreal um yeah. but i'm sorry this is a little bit of a raid and you failed and now you need to clap out of here buddy Jeff Markiafava. That's right. This is a cool show. We got everybody on this one. All the cohorts I are like here. This. Yeah, it's a big Thanksgiving feast. Of That's not places. what you were saying 30 seconds ago. That's not true. Ridiculing. Backstage will know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Jeff, um, I brought you here to answer one trivia question. A little riddle I like to give newcomers. Do you know Perfect. how this whole thing operates? Um... Aprons? Aprons. Aprons. Patrons. Patrons. There, there it is, go. everybody. Patreon.com slash minmax, two N's. Leo, how many people do you think have typed in literally patreon.com slash minmax, two N's, and tried to spell it all out? Yeah, probably one to one. Everybody who's ever heard us say that. Yeah. Well, you I, haven't I seen that the Patreon time. that I made, did you, Hansen? Oh, I've no. Been siphoning it's, off that moolah. It's just a juggernaut. Because <laughs> you're very literal. No, there's two ends of MinMax. It makes sense. Uh, but yes, thank you to all of our supporters. We appreciate it. You support us at any tier. You get access to the MinMax Discord. You can submit a comment on the show. A lot of other fun benefits. So please check that out. The show is free, but it exists because of wonderful people like you. So thank you so much, even just for watching or listening. Um, and hey, Leo, I've been meaning to ask you. Hey. Have you ever felt out of sync with gaming news? Yes. Then you should get synced up with the Synced Up Podcast, a fellow Central Time Zone podcast that covers everything from gaming opinions, detailed recaps of the weekly gaming news, and fun games sprinkled in between. Back in February, we decided to finally take the leap and chase our podcasting dreams, and we haven't stopped since. You can find the audio version by searching Synced Up Podcast in your favorite podcasting service and look for the blue and white logo, or if you prefer video, you can find us over at youtube.com slash podcast where we also have other gaming-related impressions and non-gaming-related shows, too. Again, that's youtube.com slash podcast or search podcast in your favorite podcasting service and look for the blue and white logo. We hope to see you there. And how much is this going to cost me? Hang, they didn't say... Wait, no, they did! It's a free show, Leo! And wow. these people are so great. It's like, all right, let's create a gaming podcast, get some friends together, have a good time. Awesome audio quality. The latest episode, they talk about uh, the Game Awards nominees, who they think is going to win. They talk about the Smash Brothers Melee community, Nintendo's treatment of them recently. Uh, and they're getting together, making their dreams happen, and then they're sharing uh, 
their audience with ours. And uh, I think that's very sweet to help support MinMax and then we get to promote them. I think it's a fair trade. And I mean, you could get caught up with the gaming news, Leo. Um, we can actually cut. Do you want to just listen to the latest full episode real quick? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Wow, Leo, what'd you think? I feel like I got all of the universe's secrets <laughs> blown into my brain in five seconds. There it is. Synced Up Podcast, everybody. Thanks for your support, Synced Up folks. Uh, also, thanks to I Am 8-Bit. They want everybody to know that they have a PlayStation 5 physical edition of The Pathless from Annapurna. Again, uh, Kyle in particular really loves this year. Uh, this physical version has the giant fold-out poster, reversible cover, sheet collectible art cards. There's a set of six in there. Exclusive artwork by Emmy winner Elaine Lee. And the entire thing is region-free. So go support I Am 8-Bit. Support Annapurna. Go check out that physical version of The Pathless. And you can use the promo code MinMaxFeast. MinMaxFeast, all one word, for 10% off everything in the store under $100. They have a lot of awesome stuff in the store, including the Pathless double album on vinyl from composer Austin Winery. It's an awesome soundtrack. Really unique. So check that out and uh, help them because they support us. And thanks to IM8Bit for supporting MinMax. And you, as a listener or viewer, can support MinMax too by submitting a comment or question for us to read on the show. Help make the show better in more ways than one. Every week we choose the question of the week and IM8Bit ships them out an amazing prize from their online store. And this week it is the vinyl soundtrack to Sword and Sorcery by Jim Guthrie, which is an awesome, awesome soundtrack. So you can get the vinyl soundtrack by having the question of the week. And we're going to choose the question of the week from these questions and comments submitted on Patreon. It's cool how much that soundtrack has outlived that game. I feel like I still like see that soundtrack in best soundtrack compilations and things. Right, right. God, and they're making that new uh, Super Brothers game. What was that called again, Jeff? I remember you were looking forward to it. It's coming out 2021 now. Yeah, I want to say I'm not even going to guess because it's going to be so up. Something like about Ray a Ray Jump or something. I want to Jet say The Far Shore. There it is. I want to say Far the Lone Jet. Sails, but I think that was from 2018. <laughs> Anyways, hey, comments and questions from Patreon. Uh, Ice Rarer asked, how do y'all feel about Nintendo's limited run strategy? And do you think it'll be more common for future releases? This is the idea of them Apparently delisting Super Mario 3D All-Stars and Super Mario Brothers 35 uh, at the end of March. Yeah, doing this was uh, a travesty. It was a horrible thing to do with some beloved games, and it was a massive success for them, and they're definitely going to keep doing it. But why? I, that core question, I still don't understand, unless it's something to do with... you know, Instead be- of putting effort into making it good, you can make it time-limited and make a ton of money. I think um, also, yeah, it's just like about creating scarcity, right? Like you, you know, with digital releases, it's easier now than ever to get the games that you like, um, but you don't have that feeling of sort of, um, I don't know, like there's not the sense of urgency behind buying. So yeah, it just makes people buy it, essentially. Yeah, yeah. They, they've had such a good track run with not making enough physical products for people to actually be able to buy them that I guess right. this is the way they do it digitally. I just wonder it's, if the, does that messaging get out to people who are nostalgic over Super Mario Brothers six, or sorry, for uh, Super Mario 64? Like, does the average Joe who's nostalgic about that game learn that like, oh, by the way, you got to buy it before March? Like, that just seems like such a like fine print thing. I don't think it's making them rush yeah. out to buy this thing. I, I feel like it, it's kind of like when Disney was doing like the it's going back into the Disney vault thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe in like 10 years, they'll have Nintendo Plus and 
we won't have to worry about any of this crap anymore. I think that seems very likely. Uh, Stephen Toth, real timely question here, unless you're listening after Thanksgiving, in which case, just skip ahead a little bit. Um, Stephen Toth submits a comment question saying the real star of Thanksgiving are the side dishes. What's your favorite side dish? And Jeff, when we're talking food here, go. <laughs> Stuffing. Yes, that's the right answer. Stuffing um, is the answer, yes. Yeah. Um, but then like cranberry sauce is good, you know, as yes. a as a condiment. Um, <laughs> is it considered a condiment? I, well, I, I don't put know. it on top of all my stuff. I guess so. Yeah. Is that the definition of a condiment? Just anything you put on top of other oh, stuff? Oh, no. I don't want to. This is, we're raining. We're going to get into deep philosophical territory <laughs> here. We ask ourselves. Everybody knows there's question. the condiment rabbit hole. That's good. I think, I think I'd go cranberries. Definitely evolving as I get older, moving on from the canned crap to actually, okay, I want some real, some real cranberry slop there. Uh, I also need mashed potatoes for yeah. Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not the sexiest one, but it's got to be there still. Yeah. No, it's incri- they're They are really like the foundation of the meal, I would say. Yeah. And I can't disconnect it in my brain because ever since I was a kid, I would have mashed potatoes with peas mixed in. Do you think that's weird? Like, do you think that it holds up as something good or it's just my tongue likes it because it liked it when it was five? Okay. I will say peas are underrated as a food, <laughs> like very underrated. Like they're great in like so many pasta sauces. Mm. Um, they're kind of great on their own. They do really well with cheese. And so I would say that you were kind of ahead of your time there. Thank you. I've been looking for that feedback for years. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Finally, someone's given it to you. <laughs> <laughs> now I can stop podcasting. Uh, Luca Reschigino says, how do you as game journalists reconcile your personal experiences with games, personal experiences with games, playing most major releases, having to cram them in whenever you can to get timely uh, impressions out there with how most consumers experience them, getting maybe only a few major releases a year, maybe waiting months or even years before buying a new game. I wonder if people who cover games for their jobs are perhaps more jaded about repetitive or samey games and more receptive to games that do something different or challenge them in a unique, in a unique way. I think uh, you're right on, Luca. Yeah, I, I, that is something that I have thought a lot about in the past couple of years, especially that I think, like, people are always saying, oh, you know, reviewers are so biased against X or Y or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, or, you know, they'll, they, they get a free game from the, from the publisher. So therefore they're not going to give you their honest opinion. And I think if there's anything that may make a critical opinion of something less valuable to you as a consumer, it's, it's this idea specifically of like, of, you know, like th- there are so many games nowadays are being made for people who probably only buy a couple games a year and yeah. they do want that like hundred hour experience. And if something really clicks with you, that's totally awesome. Whereas we kind of look at it as like, Oh, this is so bloated and no one needs this much. These many activities in Assassin's Creed, they should pare this down, you know, which would be nice for us. But I don't know that that always translates for the consumer as well right and then you end up you know writing reviews where it's like oh i'm sick of these open world tropes and it's like yeah because you've had to review three in a row whereas people are buying one open world game a year and that seems totally reasonable to like yeah i'll climb some towers once a year like it's no big deal i'm just having fun yeah yeah Yeah. i I think there's there's a lot to this about the disconnect there and it's tough to try and figure like okay you know 
I, I think of um, Spider-Man Miles Morales, which I really enjoyed. You know, just covered it for the deepest dive, and I loved the length of that thing. You know, I did everything on the open on the world map and clocked in at like 11 or 12 hours. I'm like, that's great. I love that little experience. But then I was talking to Chef from Mint Snacks, Grant, about it. And I was like, oh, it's great. It's like, you know, 11 hours. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to pay 50 bucks for 11 hours. Are you nuts? Yeah, I guess that's the thing. But in my mind, it's like, you know, there's great story game. You know, Uncharted 2 is the example I use in The Deepest Dive. That's like a 10-hour game. Like, you know, I'd rather have a short, compact, open-world experience that's still in that time frame and have a great time yeah. with it. Well, one line of logic that I've never understood is this idea that, like, uh, value is sort of equated to time spent in a world. Right. Um, I mean, we don't assess movies like that. So why do we assess, you know, games like that? I do understand that because, like, games are not cheap and consoles are not cheap. So, like, right. there is, like, an idea of value. But I certainly don't think that, like, you you know, we should be able to pay for tight well-written, well-crafted experiences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Leo, do you think there's a big disconnect between the way press plays games and the average person plays games? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, we don't get every game for free, but we get a good amount of like code sent to us and right. like, Epic Game Store press accounts where games are just added. And it's easy to like forget that a game is a value proposition for people. Like right. as much as I agree that I don't want it to be an hour to dollar thing that we all agreed is the fair uh, ratio. Uh, I think it is important for a lot of people for sure. And it's, it's hard to give maybe the same evaluation that the gamer would when they had to pay and you didn't. Right. Yeah. And, and it's also like a consumer will never have to play a game under a deadline. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like once you have the game, you can you can play it however you want to and take as long as you want with it unless you're worried about missing out of like the zeitgeist conversation that's going on around it but but that's something that can really i think affect your opinion of it like totally. like we were always very conscious when we were reviewing games at GI to try and be mindful of that and not let that added stress you know affect your overall impression of a video game but it's going to to some degree no matter what you do if you just don't have enough time to play a game and you're feeling rushed the entire time that you're playing it that can certainly affect how you feel about a game if especially if it's something like the one i shouldn't even bring up but red dead 2 yes. where a lot of it is like this is about immersion this is about taking it slow and really soaking up this world if you only had a week to get through that, like that's going to be a very different experience than what the consumer experiences. That's 100%. exactly my situation. Yeah. Where we were going to record a spoiler discussion for Red Dead Redemption 2 at Game Informer. And so I wanted to beat the game and I had the most negative take on the ending. And I think it was because I was up till Kyle Hilliard wee hours in the morning, like three in the morning trying to finish that thing. And it's like, this is so stretched out of an ending. I hate this. And it was just that I was angry for not being asleep, largely, you know? I think if I played that on a nice Sunday morning, I would have really enjoyed it or just spaced it out a little bit more. That yeah, said, that was the biggest thing. That was the biggest thing I learned doing my one review ever at Game Informer for Half-Life Alex was like, yeah, be, having to beat my head against like the same end game fights instead of taking a break because I had that deadline. That really like is a special kind of frustration that I didn't have empathy before, but definitely do now. Yeah. yeah. And, 
and I'm I'm not going to say that my opinion has completely changed on Breath of the Wild or anything because oh. there's still a lot about it oh. that, that still frustrates me. But it is like when I when I played it back at GI, it was I was playing every night because I was trying to get it in before we had our end of the year discussion kind of yep. things, and there were other games that I wanted to play during that time. And it is a very different experience now when I can play for a half an hour and just stop and I can just not play it for a couple days if something annoyed me and I can go back to it when I actually want to go back to it. Right. Well, here we go. Jeff from Segway of the Century, Fatal X Blade submits a comment on Patreon and asks, I bought a Nintendo Switch at launch for a new Zelda game and absolutely hated Breath of the Wild. Uh, too open and boring. And I was wondering if Jeff <laughs> recommends giving it another go since I know he went back to it or did he drop off again? P.S. Let Jeffum know he's not the only one who abandoned Red Dead 2 despite really enjoying it. We're out here, all six of us, he says. <laughs> okay, well, I, ha- I haven't abandoned Red Dead, okay? <laughs> yes, so you have! It. It's still right in the other room. I still love it. I'm going to go back to Christ. it. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would certainly, if you already have Breath of the Wild, absolutely, you know, just try go, going back to it and... Like I like I've said in a couple of episodes like this, like it it has done wonders for me to go into it with a better impression of what that game is mm-hmm. and what it's been trying to do, and that it's not what I thought it was going to be the first time around. And just consuming it in, in smaller chunks has made it more fun. It's it's probably been maybe like a week or two since I've since I've put some time into it just because there has been a bunch of other games coming out, but mm. I'm, I'm certainly, I don't have the same chip on my shoulder that I had there we go. previously for playing it. So love it. Yeah. Give it another try. On the other hand though, if your criticism is that it was too open, I don't know how much you're going to get out of it. Yeah. Uh, that might, that might not change. Fatal explained, boy, do I have the game for you. It's called Hyrule Warriors age of calamity. <laughs> Run, don't walk. Um, John Utke says, Hey y'all. How do you deal with negativity in your gamer group? All I hear from my friends is how the new Assassin's Creed formula sucks. Hades is overpriced. Your friends are insane for that comment, by the way. You should lower them into lava. Um, Phasmophobia looks like cheap garbage. I really don't interact with people in real life anymore. So my online groups are all that I have, but it feels like such a black hole negativity. They don't even want to talk to them about games. But I need to talk to somebody in this time of isolation. Go to the Minmax Discord, please. Okay, look, here's, mm-hmm. how, here's how you deal with it. Is you go to your friends and you s- see their negativity and you say, look, I'm just vibing, bro. Oh. And you say, like, I'm just trying to live my life. <laughs> like, please, <laughs> please. Keep that written next to your monitor. Yeah, have a Google Doc with that ready to go. You just copy and paste it in the Discord <laughs> wherever you're at. Yeah, that's tough. I don't know. I, it's interesting. This is a little bit of a flip of the previous question where I'm used to the journalist being jaded and negative and snarky. But like, you know, when your common friends talking about games are, I think they just spend too much time on Twitter. That has to be what that means, right? <laughs> yeah. Or other negative places, yeah. There are other negative places? Yeah. I'm afraid so. There are other discords besides <laughs> I'm ours. I'm sorry to inform you this, but uh, there are a lot of them. <laughs> My God there. in heaven. Yeah, it's, it sounds like their online friends suck and they should <laughs> honestly just go to the MinMax Discord and you'll find plenty of people to have very positive conversations about the games that you're enthusiastic about right now. Yeah, it automatically, um, it auto-detects any negative word and actually uh, boots you from the server if you use didn't, uh, you know, harsh words like that. <laughs> yeah, if you ever say the word no, you get right. banned. You get kicked <laughs> automatically. Right. 
it's a friendly place, but we we keep it in lockstep. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's very nice. No, it's really nice. Like I think that I think that that's not bad advice. Like if you're experiencing negativity, like there there are greener pastures. There we go. Speaking from my own experience, we're having like bouts of feeling cynical about games and like mm-hmm. I don't care about anything that's coming out right now. Just like try and find out what they do like and try and focus on that and other games like that and like what is compelling to them about games right now. There we go. Darkfish Day says, Hey, Max team, what non-essential detail instantly improves a game? Personally, I love to see enemies or animals fight in the distance. I love that. That is such a good one. I think we're all into that. By the way, have you played Monster Hunter World? Because that is that game in a nutshell, Darkfish Days. Does anybody else have something that jumps out? Uh, What was that? Sitting. Sitting. Ooh, like sitting on a bench? Sitting on a bench. (laughs) Yeah. Red Dead has like six secret sitting spots like you can go to the edge of certain cliffs or piers and it'll pop up a little triangle prompt to sit and you just sit off it and it goes like cinematic camera arthur's a good sitter too like that guy really is savoring that sit for sure but yeah that's just such a tiny little emergent thing that i really love especially in an online game where it's like waiting for a friend let me actually have a sit like i would in real life or smoke a cigarette Petting dogs is really popular detail. Mm-hmm. People seem to like. People Classic can't get thing. enough of it. Um, I, I have a terrible answer, but it it's it works for me personally, which is when games introduce procedurally generated stuff, because I know that can really screw up a game and actually make it bad. Yeah. But it instantly piques my interest whenever whenever games does that. Because because I play through so many games and complete them that I need infinite content for my game. <laughs> right, you know? right. Oh, if point, there is just a procedurally generated story to keep stretching Red Dead 2 out, oh, that'd yeah. be sweet. <laughs> it is. It's it's just hunting and fishing in that game. I guess that's true, yeah. It goes on forever. Oh, by the way, Leo, what do you think about that news this week? Did you catch that? That they're releasing Red Dead Online as a standalone thing on PC? I believe it's just PC now, but they're... Console la- too. Oh, really? Oh, okay. And it's launching for $5? Yeah, for the first like three months. That's so weird. Yeah, I they need players, and it's in a pretty good place right now. I hope it works out for them. It's certainly there's been friends who I've wanted to get on it in the first place or join me on PC from when we used to play console together, and now it's like the perfect time to do it for five dollars. So I'm really excited about that. Do you still play online at all? Yeah, I checked back in. I was playing it yesterday because oh, yeah, wow. they got like a double XP for a role, the bounty hunter role that's about to get blown out when they launch that standalone thing. So yeah. I want to max that out before they add more levels to it. But yeah, it's it's like, for me, sure, I'm a little frustrated. There's not infinite stuff to do at this point. But for $5, you have a ton of stuff to do in Red Dead Online right now. Like that yeah. is a no-brainer value proposition. Yeah, absolutely. How many hours do you think you put in that game so far? It, 500 plus for sure. For just online. online? Yeah. And Jeff um, can't even sit there and watch one cutscene. Can you believe it? <laughs> Anyways, um, have we beat this to death yet? <laughs> Should we move on? Oh, that, that was so long ago. <laughs> That's freaking there's, there's a horse skeleton way in my rear view oh. mirror for that one. Uh, Brian Tylek. Oh, by the way. <laughs> uh, sorry, Detour City. We're getting in it. Um, but you said rear view mirror. Anna, I watched uh, that show on HBO. What is you the name? Already? Already. What is the name of that? Uh, how to with uh, John? How? To, let's see here. Let's John see. Wilcox. 
It's, John uh, Wilson? John Wilson. Ridden, yeah, John Wilson. Yeah. How to with John Wilson. Uh, yeah, uh, you recommended it, and I watched it immediately, and then I was pleasantly surprised. I'm like, oh, this is the show that Nathan Fielder from Nathan For You is producing on HBO. This is one of his shows that came out of that deal. And it has a very Nathan For You vibe. Uh, but do you want to explain the setup for this thing? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> Good luck. How do I? Like, okay, the way that I described it in the uh, Mimax Slack is like, it's HBO, but it's YouTube. Like, so <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm. Um, it is. A, it's kind of a weird thing. So it's like this guy, his name is uh, John Wilson. And he has like a how-to guide. It's sort of each episode, but it's very meandering. And so speaking of detours, it's like it usually starts with a specific topic. And then it just, he sort of like lets the topic sort of take you on like a little trip, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like documentary-esque, um, a little bit essay-esque. Uh, he narrates, it's singularly narrated by him. You don't really see him though. And it's just like a bunch of shots, mostly of New York City. Um, and like, I'd say if there's a piece of this show that really makes it work, and I think is really, really funny, it's just like the shots of, as he narrates a line, it's just like, I imagine this guy has like thousands and thousands of hours of footage. Um, yes. So he's just going around first person through New York city and then goes back and narrates it kind of like in this intentionally kind of sloppy narration where he'll stumble over things every once in a while but yeah. just like focusing on real people in new york as he's giving this narration yeah. is just surreal yeah um but yeah the episode that you recommended that i watched was about memory and it eventually evolves into him and if it's very nathan for you in the fact that yeah he'll just like pick this lane and then just keep following down this rabbit hole um and even i read an interview with him where he was talking about you know how nathan fielder has affected the show and nathan fielder's advice was just keep filming. There needs to be one shot from the real world in every episode that just has people saying, how the hell did you get that footage? Like, that's so insane that that <laughs> happened. But he's like, if you just film for hundreds of hours, eventually something crazy will happen with a real person. Um, but this episode was all about the Mandela effect and ended up going to a convention that's all about the Mandela effect where people remember different things yeah. than okay, what wait, actually so can happened. Can we do a demo of the Mandela effect live right yes, now? Yes, yes, please. Okay. Okay, Jeffum and Leo Vader. Uh, wait, first of all, are you familiar with Mandela Effect? Mm-hmm. Correct. Oh, never mind. Well, okay, well, we'll still demo <laughs> it for listeners. Okay. I, think I, think, I think there's a way to do, do you, it. Uh, okay, how do you spell Bernstein Bears? I mean, that's that's a classic. You're hip to that yeah. one, right? We're hip yeah. to that, that one. You're hip to that one. Okay, that's like, you know that one? You're hip to that one. Okay, here's, okay, here's one. Know. Here's one, Anna. Okay. Um, Jeffum, what is the message in a rearview mirror? On the bottom of the rearview mirror. Uh, isn't it on the side mirrors? Yeah, of course. I'm stupid. Yeah, the side mirrors. Uh, That's the first test. Objects in the mirror may be closer than they appear. So <laughs> it does not say may. It says objects in mirror are closer than they appear. But mm. part of the Mandela effect is everybody remembers May being in there. So like at this convention in that episode, it's very funny because people are just like going to the mat that like there are parallel universes. I know May existed in that rearview message at some point. Um, and it, there's a bunch of strange people um, and it's handled with like this kind of nice distanced layer. It's not, you know, going going too hard, making fun of him, which I know some people think Nathan Fielder is a little bit too mean. But have you ever seen Nathan for you, Anna? Yeah, I have. Okay. Um, I haven't seen all of them, but I saw two of my favorites were I saw the um, 
the gas station rebate episode. Iconic. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Masterful. And then I, of course, I saw the um, Starbucks ripoff. Dumb Starbucks. Episode, yeah. Which is also very good. Still angry that that episode didn't win an Emmy. As far as I know, that thing should have just brought home every award TV can offer. Dumb Starbucks is just a legend. And looking back, I'm glad that show went out when it did. It is a it is a perfect four seasons. Yeah, right now, absolutely. Um, hey, uh, yeah, uh, somebody mentioned a rearview mirror. This one made me think of it. Anyways, more importantly, uh, Brian Tylek says uh, this question is mostly for Jeffum, but I guess everyone can answer if you have an opinion on a scale of nine to ten. How excited are you for a new Hero Quest game? Yeah, I I saw that news. I guess I'll I'll say ten. Sure, I I actually didn't play Hero Quest as a as a kid so i don't have like that built-in like bloodlust nostalgia for it that some people do but it is super cool that they are bringing it back and like really blowing it out which for everyone else it's it's basically it's kind of like a it was a, a very early attempt at like a dungeons and dragons kind of board game but it, but like i guess it's you know not very the Dungeons and Dragons role-playing aspect of it, I don't think is super great. It's it's just a lot more action-focused and it had a ton of little miniatures and, and this was like in the 80s. So that huh. like blue kids' minds. Yeah. Um, but Hasbro's bringing it back and doing doing the Kickstarter version of it with like a ton of really detailed tiny miniatures and stuff. And so the people who were into it back then are super excited for it. Oh, that's and cool. I'm excited to see what it what it ends up being like. Yeah, I will have to get our lawyers in touch with them because it's a little close to the Better Quest name, so not really comfortable that, with that. When I when I first saw Hero Quest, I was like, "What the hell are they talking about?" And that that was the first. For some reason, in my sleep-addled brain, I was like, "Are they talking about that show that Kim and Jeff Cork do?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> to it? Uh, oh, by the way, Anna, people watching us live with the backstage pass, they asked, "What was the name of that show again on HBO?" It's um, how to with I tweeted about it. John Wilson me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, with John. How to with John Wilson. It's on HBO. There we go. Um, Christian Jimenez says last week I purchased Control and I just happened to get high. I don't do it too often. In any, in any case, though, I really felt like it elevated my experience with the game for the first two hours. I feel like the themes and the ideas of Control work really well in this scenario. My question is, why hasn't this topic ever been brought up in games journalism? Is it still taboo for mainstream outlets despite how much more legal weed is? I can imagine that working at Game Informer, this is not an option, but what about now at MinMax? And what other games benefit from this scenario? Well, um, the thing is, it's only moral to smoke weed in California and Colorado and Washington, but it's immoral to smoke it here still. Illinois. Yeah, South Dakota now. Yeah, but again, immoral here still. Yeah. so Grizzled Gaming writes in and says, hey, again. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have always loved uh, combining getting high and playing Hitman. It isn't the reason I love that game so much, but it is a perfect game because it moves at your pace. Like sometimes I'll get high and feel like playing Siege and then I will just like, you know, zone out for a whole yeah. round or whatever. But Hitman, it's like you can really take your time. I think that's what makes it great. I mean, yeah. Game. Um, I'm pretty sure Tetris Effect was designed for the sole purpose, yeah. um, especially since they have Zen modes to play. So that's a great game. Also, Katamari, uh, uh, Demet, Damacy. Wow, I'm yeah. forgetting Damacy. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Degrassi. Damacy is an incredible game to play if you want to uh, smoke weed and play a video game. 
Yeah, um, it feels like, you know, I agree. It has to be the right combo. And it's like, I sincerely believe that auto surfing in dreams is four times better if you're a little bit high. Mm. It's, oh, mm, anything it's auto amount. is really great if you're <laughs> high. Like, um, riding a horse in Breath of the Wild is like a very <laughs> nice thing. I wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> That's what I was missing the first time I played. Yes. Wait, you yes. played that game sober? Your appreciation for the game will grow like tenfold. Oh my um, god. Actually, it is like, it's just nice because like the music's nice. You don't need to do anything like as long as, you know, there aren't, you can just run past it. Right, just keep running. Yeah, the user also. Oh yeah. Oh, that's true. I mean, that drop mixed. Yeah, that was ideal. So imagine it's the same case. Um, yeah, Leo, what do you think about that? Uh, why more outlets don't talk about weed? I mean, they're all based in California. It seems like. So you think they talk about it more? And maybe I just, I'm not listening to IGN and Gamespot stuff enough. But I don't know how much they really address it. Yeah, I don't know because people definitely do. You know, drunk gaming segments or whatever. I think yeah. I see those ten times as much as I see stoned yeah. gaming. I, yeah, I don't but, know what the reason is. Still more taboo, I guess. Do like Twitch or YouTube have any laws against it or like That's rules against it? Because it's Twitch technically does? illegal. I think so. Yeah, I don't think you can smoke on air. But I mean, Leo, you had a whole series of getting high and playing Hitman in Minnesota, which I thought was a bold move. Right, Hitman. Well, it was a fi- it was fictionalized. You know, I was playing a character. I, the, my uh, friend Joe was playing a character. So I think you just rightfully assume that the weed was fake and I used makeup to make my eyes look like that. There it is. Yeah, it's pretty funny, though, because like what Mashable covers a lot of weed sort of news, weed culture, so to speak. They're based they have a they're based at least partially in California. And I feel like they've cornered the market on like weed writing um, <laughs> just because they're like, yeah, we're going to lean into this. <laughs> Don't challenge us. We'll crush you. Uh, Grizzle Gaming. If we feel like it. That's right. Grizzle Gaming says, hey, gang. Uh, Jeff, when was the last time you smoked weed? I've never smoked weed. Interesting. Sorry. Is there a reason for never? it? Uh, I don't have it. Ah, shrewd. <laughs> if, if I, it, I'm older than you guys. When, when I was in high school, it wasn't like, hey, everybody just has weed falling out of their pockets all the time. And the vice <laughs> principal passing no, it out. I did not smoke weed in high school. No, he nailed it. Everybody. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> if it became legal in, the, in Minnesota, though, we'd be like, yeah, I guess I'll get high. My wife's a square. We'd never. Uh, okay. Although we have the kid now. So maybe she'd, she'd just be pushed to the point of like, whatever, mm. put it in my brownies and we'll actually get a good night's sleep. Yeah, but then she'd like try and smoke the kid. It would just spiral out of control. You never know. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's a good point. I didn't think about smoking the kid. Hey, Gord- Chris. Stick to wine. I, I'm good with wine. That's fair. The greatest high of all. Grizzled Gaming writes in. He says, hey, gang, uh, I want to say that I'm very thankful for MinMax and the community that has sprung up around it. Because of what y'all started, I met a lot of great people over the last year plus and I've had tons of fun conversing and playing games with them. In a normal year, that'd be great, but in 2020, it's been extra special. Anyway, enough of the sappy stuff. I want to hear everyone's best turkey sounds. <laughs> Leo, go! I thumbs up. I did not thumb this up. <laughs> you, you were springing this Yeah, up. he left this one off the list. <laughs> <laughs> Leo, turkey us, baby! Uh, I, I say, I say, I'm gonna hit you with this hammer. Foghorn Leghorn, famous turkey character. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> Was this in the list of emails? No. I don't remember. No. Oh, he, whoa, he does oh, this, guys. Oh, I Come can't on. believe it. Surprise with an email. 
Um, gobble, 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 gobble. That's great. That's great. I think it'd be like. Right. Anna, it, you can sure. just uh, blink twice if you want to pass. All right, great. Philly Yeats take writes in and says, buckle up, everyone, because we are deep in soup season. What's your favorite soups? And are you into bread bowls? Do you need a mm. sandwich to pair with your soup? Give me your soup deets. Okay, first <laughs> of all, bread bowls. What? Because I don't need a timer for how quickly I have to finish my soup. <laughs> I like taking my time. I don't want to think that the bowl's getting soggier and soggier and it's going to start leaking out. Okay. Proposition, what if your bread bowl was in a normal bowl and so you just have a very bready soup um, and it's kind of like, you know, like in Chipotle where you get a burrito, but you put it into the bowl and you're like, you have that extra sense of security. Mm. Um, yeah. How does that sound? Do you think okay. you can bowl? Yeah, that's a little better. I think your bread just sucks. I've never had a bread bowl fall apart. I'm not taking Honestly, like Honestly, I don't think century. I've ever had soup in a bread bowl. <laughs> oh, really? I'm just thought... making jokes here. Come on. Oh, sorry. I missed that part. Um, I, uh, my favorite bread bowl is at the top of the Space Needle in Seattle. They sell chili served in a bread bowl. Not, a, not, not the restaurant. No, no, no. Not la da Not la da There's the fancy rotating restaurant. This isn't that. This is a layer above that. It's just like basically a hot dog stand equivalent. And I remember dragging Brian Vore and Matt Miller there when we were on the Destiny 1 cover story trip. And I was just obsessed with like, you guys, I heard there's a bread bowl with chili in it at the top of the space. And this is my dumb thing in Seattle. I need to do it. And it was the best. No greater place to have a big bread bowl of chili than top of the space needle. So that's my favorite soup. Um, is chili soup? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't think that counts. <laughs> all right, I take it uh, back. I, I thumbed this uh, message specifically because I was thinking about this recently based on my experiences, uh, which is that chicken noodle soup, you can totally get rid of the noodles and it's just as good. Mm. Oh, if you're carbs. Hmm. Hello? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, can you hear? <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> Jeffum's falling apart. Also, uh, while Jeffum troubleshoots it, sorry, also- sorry guys, I got so excited about soup, I pulled the headphone jack out of the microphone. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. He's actually trying to eat it too, which was really weird. But yeah, for everybody else, when Jeffum says I thumbed this so hard, what he's talking about <laughs> is in Slack. I post like some of the thinkers. Like, should we talk about this on the show, and then people can give a thumbs up if they want it. So. Little behind the scenes. Um, yeah, yeah, that's no what I meant. That's <laughs> that's right. <laughs> mm, I would just like to give soup. a shout out to the best soup in the world, French onion. Ooh, like a this. good French onion soup. Wait, what? You just wince. Oh, onions. The French. Ew. Oh. French onion with like bread and toasted cheese on top. Like when they put it in the oven, it's like so good. It's so rich and flavorful and i really do like chicken soup <laughs> french onion is good hang on I, I to be honest i've never had french how oniony is it because i don't like them onions it's it one of the onioniest products you can have okay yeah probably. but it's really sweet and caramelized and Ooh, i love it um, thank you an adult and you don't like onions hansen no don't like them at all i've been really? eating more of them than i would <laughs> than i would prefer to uh i won't look upstairs too much but <laughs> they're a core tenant of cooking wow. my friend they're in a lot of foods it turns out and at a certain point i just have to stop being picky and be like mm, good but you know <laughs> there's onions in it it's not good right i've been slow cooking soups working from home while the girlfriend's away yeah it's like meal prep for soups and dumplings and stuff and it's been that, great 
That's the beauty of soups. We've been using an instant pot, which is a very similar uh, situation. But yeah, it's great. Soup is is also like chili. It's one of those magical foods where you can make a big pot of it. Yes. And every day afterwards, it just gets better and better. Right. Until it's yeah. actually done. Yeah. yeah. That's rare. Yeah. How much, how many foods really keep that well? Yeah. Well, black beans, like um, my family makes like Cuban black beans and the beans just absorb more and more of the flavor over Ooh, time. Really good. That's excellent. Yeah. yeah. And I will say in defense of like chili or any sort of bean based dish, like not only does it get better, but you can sort of reconfigure it. Like if you're on day three and you're like, ah, eh, I've had this for two days in a row. Mm-hmm. I kind of want something different. Like you could put the chili on pasta or you could put you could blend up the black beans and use it as chip dip. Like they're they're very um, flexible. That's true. <laughs> Anna, is your house on fire? What's that beeping? Uh, you can hear it. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> um, so basically, what happened was uh, we earlier today uh, smelled something interesting, and now the gas company is here. So if that <laughs> is coming through. Um, how do you think I should deal with It's fine. That? What is is it just a man standing next to you with a gas detector? No, is no, it? no, no, no. <laughs> there actually, there are, uh, there is, uh, I'm in a bedroom and then there's a door and then there's a hallway. Okay. And then there's the kitchen. And so it's actually kind of, it's just that the sound passed through. Uh, really it's easily. fine. So I, I don't know. If, it's fine. I'm I assume sorry. it won't be going like, forever. It's they were right. basically like, we need to come over immediately. So I didn't think that hey, would happen. Hey, don't question it. Uh, huh. Brendan Brett says, Hey, Ben and friends back in 2018, there was an episode of the game former show about our 10 favorite games of all time. And I wanted to share Leo's list. <laughs> I was just thinking about this. Really? I was, can I say my one thing I was thinking about it before? Yes. Uh, I was a little fast to put heat signature on there. Probably that was from that year. That heat was... signature is your number six game of all time. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. I have a thing with games where if I play a new one, that's like right up my alley. It's like, well, there's never been a game more for me than this. Right, right. It turns out there have been more. Yeah, uh, you put heat signature above Tony Hawk's American Wasteland, uh, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Blacklist, Rock Band Three, and Rainbow Six Siege above Rainbow Six Siege, Leo. That was also a new one. That one I had just started at the start of that year. But oh yeah, that's much higher now for sure. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, Jeff, any other guesses for Leo's top five? Did you say a Hitman? A Hitman's got to be on there, Hitman's right? number one, according to this old list. Uh, so number five, let's go through it. Number five is Rocket League. Number four was The Last of Us. Oh, fancy lad. Number three, Spelunky. Number two, Tabletop Simulator. And number one, Hitman. Yeah. Should we do this list again, Leo? Yeah, absolutely. Not, maybe not right now, but like, you know, a future special edition, just we can all run through our top 10 games. See how it's We definitely out. should. And mine are all going to be the same. Perfect. Hey, speaking, one. <laughs> speaking of Last of Us, here's some good stuff. Um, Phil Criffo writes in and says, hey, folks, do we know what Bruce Straley is up to? Uh, the game director for Uncharted 2, Last of Us, old Naughty Dog employee, uh, he says he tweets a lot about games, so he obviously has love for the industry despite stepping down from Naughty Dog. Do you think he will come back? If so, how and where? It's a great question. It seemed like he burned out from Naughty Dog after Uncharted 4, um, and then he left, and I think he was talking about collaborating with some friends and maybe helping out with an animated film or something, so it'd be interesting to see him return to the game industry and you know what he would try to do, because with that resume, I'd imagine he could walk into most studios and just start 
you know, yelling at people and they start listening to you. Um, so he is a, a, a long lost developer in the industry and I'd love to see him come back. But Phil has a very interesting detail. He says, a little gossip. Uh, Bruce Straley and Neil Druckmann, you know, the co-leads for Uncharted 2, Last of Us, uh, they don't follow each other on Twitter. Which hmm. my first instinct was like, ah, it's not a big deal. And I went and looked through like Bruce Straley, who he's following, and it's like, it does a lot of folks and not Neil Druckmann. It is, it's odd. I've never heard stories about those two having a falling out, but, you know, Bruce left, and I'm very curious, what's going on there? Because that seems like, Leo, is it too much to read into? That seems like a pretty sure sign that they're not on the best of terms, right? Maybe they're such good creative partners that they just know what's going on in each other's heads and they don't need to see each other's tweets because they know their thoughts already. So you know, we can't rule that out. But I think I think it is a really interesting thing to notice. They yeah. don't need something superficial like that to validate. Their right. Exactly. Right. Right. Like, Leo, you don't follow your girlfriend on Twitter. Right. Because you don't need to. All life's a oh. Twitter, you say. I, I think the same thought she does when she's about to tweet and I laugh. <laughs> like. Um, Alex <laughs> says, hey, me and Max crew, uh, been a fan of everything you've done since Game Informer and finally decided to support your, you on Patreon. Thank you. I have a question for the group. Do you have any advice for someone about to stream some gameplay for the first time? What was your first time like and what did you learn from it? I ask because I'm planning to host a stream for Cyberpunk when it comes out. I don't have a webcam or capture card, so it'll just be my voice in the game. It'll be my first stream, and I'd appreciate your input. Ooh, that seems tough not to have that webcam. Also, I think, Alex, just to really fill in this picture here, I think you might be overhyping it. You know, I'm sure some people will tune in, but don't think it's going to be a big deal out of the gate. Very, very, very low expectations here. Although, Alex, you're going to be great, you know, but don't go into it thinking like, oh, there's going to be so many people screaming at me. It's probably just going to be you monologuing through the game and that's a good place to start mm. i i was gonna say as advice to start with something that you know and that you can play competently mm. if you want to do it uh, dry run before you stream cyberpunk but but yeah it's just i mean just have fun and don't worry about what the audience is going to be doing it's right it's not like the the worst thing that could happen is getting in your own head and being super stressed out about it. You know how to play a video game, so mm -hmm. you can you can do that while your video is also being streamed somewhere else as long as you don't freak yourself out about it. Yeah, and it's you know a good reminder too, but it, it is a skill. You know, my first time streaming a game is I was just like testing out the tech and I felt really embarrassed that, you know, I was the video producer at Game Informer and I didn't really know how to set up a stream realistically on my own. And so I set it up in my home years ago and I was just going to stream World of Goo, uh, one of my favorite indie games. And so I was streaming World of Goo, very uncomfortable monologuing my way through it. And I made it like 15 minutes in before just the entire stream broke and I was streaming on Mac and there's this weird limit and then it like started shrieking and like having this ear piercing squeal going through and i just felt so embarrassed i just killed the stream and deleted that archive and it's like it never happened <laughs> it's bad so no matter what he bad. does it won't be as bad as hansen's first stream that's right that's right leo do you remember your first stream no uh streaming for the past few years on my personal channel i would say the biggest thing i've learned is to not overdo it like keep in mind how much it is fun for you yeah. There was a time where I was I would get home after work and I would play games and I'm like, I may as well turn the stream on 
and then doing, you know, five streams a week ended up like burning me out because I didn't really anticipate how much work it would be. It would be a period of streaming. And then when I was done, I was like, well, now I need to play games to chill out. And it kind of just, you know, doubled my gaming time to actual chill gaming. But now doing it just once a week, I've, I've found that is the sweet spot for me of this is a fun thing to rally me and my friends around once a week and we're not overdoing it and it doesn't feel like too much of a commitment. I'm always confused when I see you stream because you stream every Sunday night on your own YouTube channel. At 7 p.m. Central on, yeah, youtube.com slash leovader and twitch.tv slash leovader.com, D-O-T-C-O-M. Yes, thanks for asking. Great. Um, but then you don't archive it. I archive it secretly. Um, it's in a public playlist unlisted. So if you go on my playlist on my YouTube channel, you can find my stream archives there. Is that just because your own YouTube channel, you don't want to confuse it? You want to keep it just your, your personal video essays? Yeah. See, so you're smart. Keep it cleaner. You're smart. Uh, Aiden Walker writes in and says, Hello, in reference to last week's question of what to name the parrot in the intro to the great goatee hunt i animated the intro my name is aiden walker and i called her squim cracks an <laughs> unholy amalgamation of the words squawk min max and crackers i have a crude drawing in my notebook <laughs> indicating this if you're interested uh we're not interested aiden we just yeah I, I guess it has to be squim cracks there's no way around it you're the man that <laughs> made her know. so there it is <laughs> Um, One of the more vile min-max puns so far. <laughs> I really enjoy it. Podbod writes in and says, Hey, Liana Benjajeff. Hello. Um, what is the best way for, JRP- or for RPGs to handle fighting enemies that are at a much lower level than you? I'm currently playing through Yakuza Like a Dragon. First off, it's a great game. But I'm now at a point where fights against some low-level enemies in the overworld have turned into me jamming on the basic attack command to get it over with. The enemies do single-digit damage and reward only a tiny bit of XP, so the fights are practically useless. This is a classic question. An auto-win. That works really well. Yeah. like, you run into them, screen flashes, you're good. Yeah. Like, if you're above a certain level yes exactly i'm trying to think does a certain game come to mind for the the auto win i know i've experienced it but i can't think of one recently (laughs) not recent but earthbound has an auto win. honestly ahead of its time like it turned it experimenting with turn-based um tactics like it did um sort of more with that both mother earthbound and mother three sure Oh, there yeah. we go. Yeah, just auto win, Podbot. Yeah, I think Yakuza could use that. I'm at a point now where I had to actually grind to get some more gold or money, dollars, I guess, um, in Yakuza. And it was like a thing of running into a lot of like level nine crappers. And it's like, this is a waste of my time. I just, I need to figure out a faster way to get money here. Why don't they just run from you in fear? And then you can chase them if you want to have that fight. Or Yeah, that makes more sense for Yakuza, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't realize it was going to be a, a turn-based we were talking specifically about turn-based RPGs because I do like being able to plow through low-level characters in, you know, like an action game RPG. Mm-hmm. But I, I think in if if you still want to have those fights, like just have a story explanation for why those characters are gone and they have been replaced by harder enemies. Don't like auto-level the characters up so it's like yeah. that level 1 spider is now a level 10 spider, but have it be like, a more mutant evil looking spider. And then I won't, I won't mind that it's an actual hard fight again. Right. So I guess there's just have to be a higher level pervert in Yokohama and Yakuza. I'm trying to think what the equivalent yeah. would be. Yeah. The big pervs. The yeah. big pervs. Uh, one has, one has a pocket knife and then the later one has a taser. That's right. For the more evil one. Perfect. That's it. Mecha perv. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't stop mecha perv. 
Clint Farley says, video game sound effects trivia time, everybody. So this time around, instead of music, we could do some video game sound effects. You don't have to be specific. You can just name the game franchise, since I'm sure the effects are used across multiple entries. Just like last month, my Patreon pledge will be based on the number you get right. $10 oh, wow. per answer, unless dropping it puts you below 15K. Thank you, Glenn Farley. I think this should be a pretty easy one, but we'll see. All right. Thank you for going easy on us. Are you all ready for this? All right. Ready. First one to say the name of the franchise. Clue number one. Sonic Hedgehog. Good job, gamers. <laughs> all right. Next one. Got a little trick here. Oh, oh, hang on. Um, and hang on. It's kind of like a silent. It's like a John Cage sound effect. Okay, hang on. Here we go. Oh, that's so familiar. Yep, Leo, it should be. Uh, here's the second one. Clue two. Same franchise. Interesting. Leo, our Patreon depends on this. Okay, sound three, Leo. I'm talking to you, Leo. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking about a Thanksgiving meal over here. Oh, stomach. Uh, sorry, Leo, did you have a guess? What was the first one again? Can we get the oh first one? Oh my god, it's it's this. Hang on. Hang on. It's that. Okay, I'll go back to the first one, but it's that. It's I mean that is that seems like the sound from this thing. This is a health charging station. Right. Oh, Metroid Prime? Oh, oh no. Our Patreon's ruined. <laughs> that was Half-Life. Half-Life, everybody. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I only play good games, actually. <laughs> you just oh. reviewed Half-Life, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Another, another franchise here. Oh. Damn, that's obvious. I don't know if anybody plays this franchise in this group. Okay, another iconic sound here. Leo, you have impersonated this character. Today? <laughs> the entire <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, uh, probably uh, three months ago. Uh, here's the last one. What have we got? Oh. Crash Bandicoot. Crash Bandicoot. There we go. It was on your final Game Query episode, I believe. Right. Um, and it was too raunchy to repeat here. <laughs> no, sir. please not. Uh, all right. Next franchise. Jesus Christ. <laughs> all right. We're just going to move on and assume that's I'm gonna a win. I'm going to say Zelda. Hey, good job. Okay. What about this one? Uh, he says this one's the easiest. Yeah. Pac-Man. Okay, see, here's the thing, Clint Farley. 
your quizzes are either impossible <laughs> or a cakewalk. <laughs> you got to find that middle ground. You got to push us. You got to pull us. You got to stretch us. You know, it's, it's got to be a challenge, Clint. But thank you for your support and thank you for Video Game Sound Effect Challenge. We appreciate it. Uh, favorite question of the week. What do y'all like? I like... Oh, Anna, were you saying something? Yeah, but my mic was like, hey, why don't you not talk today? Um, <laughs> I said I enjoyed our soup conversation. Yeah, God, soup was surprisingly yeah. strong. <laughs> I liked the game, the way games, journalists experience games versus gamers, but I think we've talked about that before. Soup was new. Um, the getting high thing, I think, is something we've never really talked about. That was good. I like the negativity in your gamer group one. Yep, yep. You're always screaming for more of it. Um, I like the streaming for the first time, but I think soup was probably the strongest. It's soup, baby. It's soup, baby. (laughs) Philly Yeet Steak, congratulations. I8Bit will ship out the soundtrack to Sword and Sorcery. Thank you to I8Bit. Check out their online store for a bunch of great stuff, including your own copy of that album if you'd like it. Min Max Feast, all one word for 10% off. Um, and now it's time for something we call Get a Load of This. Oh, Leo, do you have something oh, good? Oh, baby, I sure do. So this is an interesting article that I remembered recently when talking to friends from 2016. It's called, it's on uh, Wired, and it's called The Sadness and Beauty of Watching Google's AI Play Go. Oh. And it's about Google's AI AlphaGo, uh, while it was taking over the world, it's now like recognized, or at least a sequel to it is. Alpha Zero is recognized as the best Go player there is, but this is uh, about when it was like defeating Go's biggest human champions. Yeah. And it's a really interesting article because it has insights from somebody who is a Go expert and he keeps describing the AI's moves as beautiful. Like, unexpected moves that a human would never do but it would win with that he had at first he was struck that it was just a really odd move and then he kept thinking about it and it kept striking him as a beautiful move to make and go and it's a really interesting piece about that game and about uh you know playing ai classic uh john henry stuff oh i love that i love that idea of this guy being a master of go and then just seeing a move that is scientifically the perfect move and it still like strikes his brain as oh what is this like, oh, no, th- th- yeah, that's no, just you know he says he's never seen a human play it and a human never would play it it's a fascinating article oh that sounds great the links are in the description uh jeff um, do you have one yeah get a load of this uh this was a news story from the associated press uh earlier or last month um and it it's a story the headline is "What a fluke! Dutch whale tail sculpture catches metro train." And basically, in the Netherlands, there was an elevated subway train that went off the back of like the platform, which apparently it just completely ends and then it goes down, you know, like a story. But the train went off the back of it, and there just happens to be a massive uh, statue of like the back of a whale's tail coming up. <laughs> That that the train somehow managed to land on top of it, oh and, it's, my God. and it saved like two two entire you know like elevated subway cars from crashing down off the bottom. It looks like something that would be out of a Spider-Man movie. Wow! Uh, but they got a they got a whole gallery of pictures of it, and it, it will blow your mind that something like this 
actually happened. Uh, okay. Uh, isn't a, a fluke like a part of a whale or something? I think like that's that? what they were going for. I okay. think they were being cute with the headline. But, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Double check in there. Anna, you got one? Yeah. Um, mine is actually like also kind of a sea creature themed. Perfect. Um, so apparently sea urchins protect themselves by putting rocks and shells on their heads. <laughs> so apparently if you give them tiny hats, they will put them on and wear them. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it, I will uh, send you the link, but there are all these cute photos of sea urchins wearing like, cowboy hats and like a Vikings helmet and like a nice little fedora. Um, Perfect. Yeah. That sounds great. Uh, mine's also sea creature related. Um, I watched the reunion for Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on HBO. They have it like on HBO Max, I think, but it's like an hour long special. And they do that, my favorite thing, where they recreate the set and then bring all the cast back to like sit on the set and just share stories. And, you know, it's one of those reunion specials you expect to be pretty cheesy, but it actually like was a little bit deeper and a little more interesting than I was expecting going through it. And they had this section that blew my mind where they were all talking about early on in the early seasons how bad Will Smith was when it came to uh, other people's lines because he was so new to acting, he didn't know that he just had to memorize his own lines, so he memorized everybody else's lines. And then when they were doing a scene together, they'd be acting and looking at him and he would be mouthing their lines and he would throw everybody (laughs) off and they hated it. And the insane thing is that it was like left in the show. So they have clips. There's one episode in particular where uh, Will's old friend came back to hang out uh, and it's Don Cheadle, like a young Don Cheadle. And every time he's speaking, Will Smith is mouthing his lines and like the jokes before he says them. And it's in the show. So it just looks like some insane concept where it's like a ventriloquism act. You don't know what the hell is going on if you're really paying attention. It's surreal. But apparently, it's a puppeteer. Yeah, it adds a whole new layer of lore, which also <laughs> they, they had a whole section in that uh, special about how often they broke the fourth wall in that show which I vaguely remember as a kid, like, you know, obviously just like looking at the camera and a lot of that stuff. But there's one joke in particular where they're talking about how rich they are, you know, Fresh Prince things. And then Will Smith just goes, oh yeah, if we're so rich, why can't we afford a ceiling? And the camera tilts up and shows that the set doesn't have a ceiling. And I remember watching that as a kid and being like, what is happening? And like, <laughs> that show was like way cooler in certain spots. And I remember there's a bit where Carlton's running around because he's freaked out that somebody's been murdered or something. And within the show, he just like ran through the studio audience and they just like kept filming him. Like it was really a stranger show than it gets credit for in a lot of ways. Yeah. I want to side plug a YouTuber. Jose did a full retrospective on Fresh Friends of Bel-Air. That's an hour and a half long, which is like my favorite kind of YouTube content ever. Oh, yeah. He talked about a part where he's at the end of one season. He's like moving out of Bel-Air to go get a real job. And then the start of the next season, it's like executives from the network come pull him into a van and bring him back to Bel-Air. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, We also have the Discord. You get access to if you support us on Patreon. And there's a whole get a load of this channel in there. Jeff, did you find one that's good in there? I did get a load of this. Uh, This one is from Nick from Atlanta, and it is a tweet by Warpdor from Twitter. But basically he, um, and actually that's just retweeting a person (laughs) named Numachi Tamanegi, Uh uh who created uh, a game, a free game called Artemis's Minesweeper. And you can play it in your browser, but basically it's a cross between 
Minesweeper and a Bullet Hell game. <laughs> so you have like the mine the Minesweeper grid, but there's a character at the top that's shooting out like patterns of bullets that you have to move your cursor around as you're solving Minesweeper puzzles. Oh, fun. That's a <laughs> that's really good cool idea. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's it for this episode. Uh, some plugs. I want to promote uh, the latest episode of Crossfader, a music podcast hosted by Matt Helgeson. Uh, John Drake was on it, uh, formerly of Harmonix fame, and he was at PlayStation for a while. Now he's a VP of games over at Disney. Um, and he is, does a great job in that episode. They review Ziggy Stardust by David Bowie. And it's just fun to hear those two music experts just unload all their thoughts on David Bowie and that album in particular. And uh, John Drake also tells a lot of tells a lot of amazing old stories from being at harmonics, the development of Beatles rock band, you know, just, he has so many insane stories from that era of just working with musicians, you know, Paul McCartney's reaction to the way that he played drums on stage live. Like there's just a lot of very fun stuff uh, in that episode of Crossfade. So you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Please check that out. Um, Also heads up that we have the same with every Sunday of every month, um, the call-in episode of MinFax, our Patreon-exclusive podcast, and we're going to be recording the next call-in special on Sunday the 29th. So November 29th at 6 p.m. Central, if you're at that $20 tier on Patreon, you can call in and talk to us about anything you'd like. And this month is going to be uh, myself and uh, my best friend Ronnie, who's been on some deepest dives. Um, the community seems to love him, so if you want a chance to call in and uh, ask Ronnie any question under the sun, including what I was like in sixth grade, whatever you want. It's going to be a fun time. So 6 p.m. Central, and we take those calls from the Discord. So let me know if you have any questions about how that works, but we'd love to have you call in. Um, anything else anybody else wants to plug? Anna, you have Refresh coming up, right? Yeah, I have refreshed on Friday. Um going to be talking to... I guess I can say it now. Sure. Yeah, why not? I haven't even told them what we're talking about yet. I forgot. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'll send that after this. Um, I am talking to a... Uh, Animal Crossing YouTuber and modder who has basically been adding a whole bunch of stuff to the game um, and then just like makes videos about it. Uh, so I think that will be fun. Uh, he's pretty popular. He's cool. gotten some games coverage. So I think it'll just be like a fun little uh, convo after Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's not going to be on Thursday. It's going to be on Friday. Okay. So Friday, yeah. follow us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash yeah. show, and you can tune in live and ask questions live in the chat and all that fun stuff yeah cool anything else anybody else wants to plug watch later it's the it's the time for the the leos my awards for the year of 2020 so that'll be up this friday for everybody or early for patrons oh cool that sounds fun uh and thank you oh hang on so we have all the 50 dollars supporters to thank um jeff and leo you're gonna be confused about this but i'm gonna try and play the song from the game and watch uh super mario brothers thing and time that perfectly to us reading all the plugs for the patrons. So, you ready for this song? Hit it. <clears throat> Thank you to the $50 supporters on Patreon, including... Synced Up Podcast, I Am 8-Bit, Mirko Rico Torreno, Rich McLaughlin, Zachary Pliggy, Rebecca Lang, Beaten Down Brian, Mark Seliga, Jawar Hello, Ludwig Roque, Andrew Valla, Jesse Vitelli, Super Serious Sam, Snake24, Thomas Hoster, Yarrow, Spiral in Your Eyes, Richard Smuts, JT Fells, Prethim Yar Lagata, Clint Farley, Spider Dan, Steve Bamdad, and Slick Nick. Thanks so much, everybody. We appreciate the support on Patreon. Be good. Have fun. Let's go. Oh, 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 oh,